What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours surely, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, October the 11th, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to discuss here on this busy uh, early October program all over uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. We will recap the wild card, the wild card series that was over the weekend, American League, National League, and look ahead to the uh, four uh, LDSs that are taking place uh, to begin the to begin the uh, work week with the uh, Phillies and the Braves, the Mariners and the Astros, the Guardians and the Yankees. And the uh, San Diego Padres taking on the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll get into plenty of playoff baseball as the show moves along. Not to mention a Week 5 recap. Uh, the Giants upsetting the Packers. I got plenty to say about that. Brandon Staley, is an, uh, has again, is just lost. But despite all that, the Chargers found a way to beat the Cleveland Browns. We'll get into that. Uh, Cowboys beating the Rams, as I predicted. I will uh, uh, break down that for you coming up later in the program. Eagles improved their way to 5-0, and uh, still remain undefeated through the first five weeks of the season. Again, into the ref ball that occurred in Tampa Bay and Kansas City over the last uh, couple of days. And I'll also get into uh, the Raiders, recap the Raiders and Chiefs uh, Monday night game that was uh, last night at Arrowhead. But first, where we will begin is uh, with my Cincinnati Bengals and their... 19-17 loss to the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday Night Football. You know, there are plenty of aspects uh, with this game that I will get to in this, uh, in this opening segment. But I tell you, as a fan that has, and I'm not the only one, but as a fan that had high expectations for this football team, that expected great things when the season began. A fan who has a podcast, granted, not that not that it matters, but I do have a little platform where I come on here and I talk about uh talk about my Cincinnati Bengals on a, on you know at least once a week, and who predict and I predicted them of course to win the division. I predicted them of course to make it back to the AFC Championship game. I predicted them to win the AFC, and I predicted them to win the Super Bowl and slash their demon uh from uh from last from last um from last fall or excuse me from last February and what they have done to me and to Bengals fans all over the place in Cincinnati, northern northern central Kentucky, you name it. What they've done to us Bengals fans is is borderline is is borderline insulting because this team once again on Sunday night came out flat 
They came out deadheaded. They were slow. They were lethargic. They were com- they were pathetic. They had they had no fire. They had no they had no fire. They had no grit. They had they had they had no there was no intensity from this team right from the opening court. They were flat as a pancake with no baking soda in it. They were as flat as a baking soda less pancake. They were flat, had no energy, were lethargic, and were just sleepwalking like they've done ad infinitum through through 75% of the first five weeks of the season. They were flat as hell against Pittsburgh with Burrow throwing interceptions left and right and getting sacked seven times and thrown on his ass. They were flat as a damn pancake against the Cowboys in week two, again with Burrow getting sacked all over the place and Michael Parsons, which we'll get into, he and his Cowboy defense later in the show, just dominated the Bengals' offensive line and had their way with them from the right from the first right from the first uh, Bengals possession onward, they came out flat and they did the same damn thing Sunday night at the bank against the Ravens. It is the same damn story and it's the same damn thing with this team for the third time in the last five weeks. And I'm growing sick and damn tired of it. I am I am growing impatient. I am growing restless. I am growing rather annoyed, rather pissed off, rather angry, and and and, and, and I'm and I'm nearing a wit's end. They are tap dancing on my damn and are raking my ever last nerve. It's enough. I am so sick of watching this team offensively start out flat, start out lethargic, like their head is in the sand, up their ass, in the clouds, wherever. Their head is everywhere but being live and active in the football game that they are playing at this specific moment in time. It's enough. I'm sick of it. Okay, I am tired with the with just the just the meh and the yuck and this the really the, the 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 level of mid with Zach Taylor's play calling in these games to start has got to stop as well. It's an it's 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 enough. It's enough. So we're running back to back screenplay. Okay, fine. First play screen pass, a little something different. I wouldn't have called it first screen pass. Okay, fine. It works. You call the same thing again on second down, Zach. Really? Really? I mean, this team was overmatched, overwhelmed, and the moment was, and the Sunday night lights were too, now there was some bright ass lights at MNT Bank's damn LED, and I'll get to my experiences at the game, seeing it live in a minute, but the lights, the Sunday night football lights down at the bank were too bright for this football team to start. They were. They were not ready to play. Their heads weren't in the, they just, they 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 get they start these games offensively in the first quarter and it's they sleepwalk they're like a bunch of, they're like a bunch of zombies their bodies are there but you don't feel their presence like they're re- like they're ready to rock and roll 
You didn't see it in the Pittsburgh game. You didn't see it in the Cowboy game. You damn skip you didn't see it from them on Sunday night. And every single time this team puts themselves in a hole, and then next thing you know, you look up at the scoreboard, and maybe they get lucky, and it's 3 nothing, or it's 7 nothing, or it's 10 nothing, 13 nothing. Uh, then all oh, what they got to do, they got to sit up here, they got to reconvene. It's, you know, it's a little wake up call for them. They, you know, snap back to reality, Eminem lose yourself. And all of a sudden they wake up, they realize, oh, we're playing in a football game. Then all of a sudden they, they you know, they, Joe Burrow, give them credit. They dig themselves up out of a hole. They make some plays. They open up the playbook a little bit. They start running the ball with some oomph. They start making some plays offensively with some oomph. They get the ball to Hayden Hurst. Who's been at? Who's been very, very good as a Bengal wide receiver here, or excuse me, as the Bengals tight end in his young season? They get some, you know, they they can get try to get Jamar and try to get uh, other receivers involved when they can. P. Ryan screen passes out of the backfield. Now all of a sudden, you know, you wake up and it's like, oh. We actually have a chance to win this game. And then, you know, whether as soon as they either get the game tied, like they did, like they get the game tied, like they did uh, against uh, Dallas in week two with, with when they had Tyler, when they had, uh, when they had Tyler Boyd catch the two-point conversion, whether it's Pittsburgh where they would have won the game, but they, but they won like they lost, it won like, and it was devastating on the way. Don't get me wrong. I screamed and yelled about it when it happened, but in the Pittsburgh game, okay, you tie the game. You kicked the extra point, you should have won it. But the game is tidy. You have plenty of opportunities to go ahead and win it. And it's like, all right, well, after after that disgusting, ugly start, it looks like we're finally, at the last possible second, are going to steal one. You think the same thing on Sunday night. We're finally going to have an opportunity to steal one. You know, God is smiling upon this football team, upon this franchise. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Offense started out slow, started out lethargic, but defense made plays. Throwing a couple of, of just horrendous passes from Lamar Jackson. Uh, they can't convert on the fourth. They can't convert on the fourth and one. They can't put the ball in the end zone. They keep the Ravens' offense in check, which no team has been able to do uh, from start for like a full 60-minute period, as in keeping the Ravens out of the end zone more than one time. Bengals' defense is able to do it. It's like, oh, we're going to have a chance to win this game. Bengals drive down the field, milk the clock, score a touchdown, QB sneak. Uh, after the two-minute warning, and lo and behold, you get that. I tweeted it out like I did after the Steeler game, like I did after the Cowboy game. Defense, give me one stop, like I did at the after the, like I did during the damn Super Bowl. I tweeted out, defense, could you get me a stop? You give me one stop, one play, one interception, something to put the game away, put me out of my misery. We can win this game. We can all go home with a smile on our face, me included, getting home, walking through the door at one o'clock at at one o'clock in the morning, in the wee hours of uh, of uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. Uh, can can you do that for me? Pretty please with sugar on top, and like they and they couldn't do it in they couldn't do it in the Ram game. They couldn't do it. Uh, they couldn't make a play when they had their backs against the wall. Uh, in the overtime against Pittsburgh, and they couldn't do it in the final drive of Cooper Rush against the Cowboys in Week 2. And lo and behold, what the hell do they do? They allow Lamar Jackson to drive seven plays, 58 yards, and set up Justin Tucker to kick a 43-yard chip shot field goal from the Bengals on 25-yard line 
Field goal is good. Justin Tucker never misses. If the uprights would be would be six inches wide, he would have nailed it. He probably could have nailed it from my damn parking lot. That's how good of a kicker he is. Tucker's automatic, never misses, kicks the field goal. Ravens win 19-17, first place temporarily in the AFC North. They avoid uh, they avoid getting swept by Cincinnati winning the first game. They get the bragging rights. The Jimmy Seafood can log on the Twitter page and tweet to their heart's content, pissing all over the Cincinnati Bengals franchise, the ownership, no practice facility till this year, and crap on Joe Burrow, and Zach Taylor, they can do it all to the cows, come home, I get, I can hear it leaving out the stadium, I can hear how to take the L from my sister, I can hear, I can hear all the trash talk, all the smack, oh, is it, is, is it a fluke year for the Bengals, Ravens, Fox, stand up, where are you, Seven Nation Army chant, and let's, and how what happened to those Bengals? Bengals are a bunch of pussy cats. They're frauds. They stink. We're kings of the north. Blah 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 blah. Meanwhile, the Bengals are still spinning the damn wheels. They head back to Cincinnati with their tail in between their legs, having blown yet another game. They had an opportunity to take when the opportunity presented itself for them to take the game. And I don't know about you, but me and every and a and, and ninety five damn near hundred percent of uh, us members of Who Day Nation out there are getting sick and freaking tired of the same old narrative and the same old essentially storyline with these games with with this football team. At this particular moment in time, we're getting tired of it. We're getting tired of the offense spinning their wheels, asleep at the wheel, not knowing which way is up. Zach Taylor with his head up his ass, out the lunch, can't 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 handle a play clock, can't make decision making, can't call plays to save his life, to save our lives, the fate of the universe depending on it. Joe Burrow putting up these pedestrian stats, pedestrian numbers running the football. We can't get Jamar Chase involved yet again. Yes, the Ravens secondary is healthy because Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphreys and everybody in the mother is back and healthy. Yes, because I heard it 90,000 times that the that the only reason why the Bengals swept the Ravens last year because they went up against a bunch of backup secondaries yet Ravens fans conveniently forget that that they had eight wins when they played us in Cincinnati last December, and that game was going to decide essentially who won first place in the AFC North. Ravens fans conveniently love to forget that, but that's neither here nor there. They, we can't get the ball to Jamar Chase. What is getting Tyler Boyd involved? Four targets, three receptions on the night. We, I mean, what? Poor T. Higgins can't play. We could try to give it a go, and his ankle is bothering him all night long. It's just, it's, it's just another. Just disgusting, vomit-inducing, just eyebrow-raising, head-scratching, what-the-hell-are-we-doing game from my Cincinnati Bengals. Just a, It's just another one. Just another one. They The offense finally decides, late in the second half, when they realize, hey, there's a game going on. Hey, we actually got a chance to win this game. And all of a sudden, they, they wake up and they march up and down like they feel like they're capable of doing uh, and, and and it's like we tie the game or we pull out in front by by just a little bit of a margin, as in the case on Sunday night. And it's like, oh, we actually have a chance. 
Oh, wait. Then we get reminded that our quote-unquote elite defense is going to step up and save the day when they couldn't save the day against the damn Rams and the Super Bowl. They couldn't save the day against the Steelers with Mitch freaking Trubisky. What? Mitch Trubisky with that god-awful wide receiver room they have with Chase Claypool and the other scrub that they have, uh, McLeod and the other one that can't catch. March up and down the field with that turnstile offensive line they got, and an absolute moron of an offensive coordinator in in camp and Matt Canada. They march up and down the field. They get Sam Hubbard jumps off sides again in the field goal range. Boswell never misses. Kick field goal. We're 0-1. Then against Dallas, they let Cooper Rush look like the second coming of Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman reincarnated. Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott are essentially Tony Dorsett and Emmett Smith, for God's sakes. They march up and down the field, back-to-back offensive drive for Dallas to begin the game. Then all of a sudden, the Bengals defense shuts them down for quarter two and quarter three. And for about... 58 minutes and some odd seconds of quarter number four. Then all of a sudden they re- they go back to their first quarter form like it's a Thanos snap. And all of a sudden they allow Cooper Rush to march down the field untouched. Wide receivers wide the hell open. Just 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 weak, soft coverage from the secondary. They get they get Maher in the field goal range. Kicks the field goal. Bengals down down in the hole. 0-2 to begin the season. And lo and behold, once you know what, they score a touchdown. They score a touchdown. They get the Ravens got all their timeouts to work with. Lamar Jackson gets the ball at his own uh gets the ball at his own uh, 25 yard line First play from scrimmage, he hits up Mark Andrews for seven yards. I mean, and I literally sat up there and I tweeted, if there's anything that you guys got to do, it's stop Mark Andrews. He is literally the only Ravens wide receiver that is eating you guys for breakfast, lunch, and dinner tonight. It is not Devin DuVernay. It is not Tylen Wallace who Lamar Jackson missed by 50 yards. It is, it's not anybody. It's Mark Andrews. Lo and behold, it's Andrews here, it's Andrews there, it's Lamar, it's a little QB option quarterback draw with Lamar Jackson here and there. Then you, you, before you, and then, but it took, it took them one, two, three, four, five plays to get into Cincinnati territory. And you knew, and you knew it right then and there after the first and five when they had, when they, and Explicably had 12 men on the field that the game was going to be over. You knew it. You knew it as soon as they they, they, they crossed our 45-yard line that the game was going to be over. You knew it. And all this talk, well, they haven't given up a, a, a second-half touchdown all year long. Yeah, but they've given up three game-winning field goal drives this season. It's not a clutch defense. It's alright. It's okay. It's man, it's good. Okay. Very good. Great defenses get off the field when their team needs a stop. Two and two Sunday night football in a divisional game they have to have.
And the thing that makes it worse, and I understand it's a rivalry game, and there's and the Ravens are damn near impossible to beat in their own building in prime time. What are they like 18, 18, 19, and then and, and two? And one of the two losses shouldn't even really count because the second loss came to when Kansas City came in and kicked their tail in 2020 on that Monday night. But I mean, you might have, that's like that's 2017 Houston Astros. I mean, that's that's as that's as much that's a game that deserves as much as an asterisk as anything else because everybody knows that if the, that if the Ravens had a capacity crowd that the that the Chiefs odds are when to walked into that building and beat the piss out of Baltimore. Everybody knows that. Lo and behold, Kansas City comes into Baltimore on a Sunday night, Ravens hope opener, and they blow and they lose the game. Thinks of Clyde Edwards Alaire fumble and Andy Reid out being out to lunch with his game management again. So I understand it's no shame in losing to the Ravens. I get that. Divisional opponent, damn good football team. They're just as much a Super Bowl contender. As we are, I totally understand that. Coached well, Lamar Jackson's a stud. Mark Andrews is a stud. Justin Tucker, the kicker, is a wizard. Solid running attack. Devin Duvernay, although he, I, not uh, uh, Duvernay, um, um, his uh, the wide receiver from uh, from Minnesota didn't play. He's a, he's a he's a his name will come to me in a minute. He's a good receiver. That's a good football team. Peters, I got respect for that team. They're a good team. They're not, they're not a bunch of scrubs. They're not slouches. There's no shame in losing to the Ravens. It happens. But maybe us losing to the Ravens, especially the way we did, us fans wouldn't be so irritable and wouldn't be so upset and pissed about it had you not you lost games to the scum of the AFC North that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is offensive and disgusting to the damn senses that we somehow lost to that god-awful disgrace of a football team. I don't give a damn if T.J. Watt is 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 Aaron Donald, uh, Lawrence Taylor, and Jack Lambert all rolled into one. And you lost to a Dallas Cowboy team who you should have beat. They're a good team too, better than I thought, but still... Cooper Rush, and you guys got Joe Burrow, you can't find a way to win a damn football game. Maybe if it wouldn't be for those two losses, maybe I'd take this loss against against the Ravens on Sunday night a little bit differently. Just maybe. I mean, I'm just... Look at the pedestrian offensive numbers. Pedestrian. Bad. Essentially, now the offensive line's gotten a little, gotten their uh, gotten a little bit of cohesion chemistry with them. Now it's the excuse, because in Pittsburgh, because against Pittsburgh and at Dallas, it was the offensive line. Weeks three through five, the offensive line's been solid. So what's the problem now? What's the problem now? For why your offense again? It's been stuck in the mud. What? What's? 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 What? What? What is it? Yeah, teams are going to play two high safeties and try to keep take Jamar Chase out the game. You guys are Callahan, Taylor, Allius. Y'all are head. Y'all are coaches in the National Football League. 
You mean to tell me you don't know how to... I'm trying not to drop an F-bomb. You trying to tell me that you don't know how to game plan against teams that play too high safeties? Really? So what? Too high safeties gives you an excuse to run back-to-back screenplays? On an opening offensive drive? And you're all in your offense to go... I'll read it for you. To go punt, 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 punt on four straight possessions to begin the game? Are you kidding me? And I'll tell you something right now. Zach Taylor's play calling and decision making is offensive to the damn senses. It is offensive, it's disgusting, it's despicable, it's incompetent, it's egregious, it is asinine, and it is offensive and it and it is insulting to every single football fan that watches this team play on a weekly basis. It is offensive. What in the hell are you doing, Zach Taylor? Bypassing a game time field goal, a chip shot with Evan McPherson, a kicker that kicked not one but two game winning field goals to get you to the Super Bowl, and you sit up there with the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated guard to leave him on the sidelines at a chip shot field goal inside the Ravens' five yard line and opt to go for it on fourth and goal, and then to top it all off to Call a god freaking damn shovel pass. Are you kidding me? A shovel pass on fourth and goal. Are, are you trolling us at this point? Are you kidding me? A shovel pass on fourth and goal? Have you lost your ever-loving mind, Zach Taylor? I, I, I couldn't believe how stupid that was. Bad enough you pass up the opportunity to, to just tie the game up. The offense has been in the crapper all night long, and here you are chasing points. Take the points wherever you can get them. Kick the field goal and tie the game up. Final score of the game, 19-17. You kick the field goal, guess what? You have 20 points. 20 is greater than 19 last time I checked. And maybe if you kick the field goal and tie the game up, the Ravens in their two-minute drill don't say, "Hey, we can't, we don't, you know, we don't have to go 50, 55 yards to drive down the field. We gotta go 75 yards because we know a field goal, three points when a margin is four, won't be good enough." We got to march down the field and put the ball in the end zone. Something that your vaunted great defense hasn't been, hasn't hasn't been hasn't allowed them to do since the second quarter. 
But no, we want to go for it on fourth and goal when our offense is in the toilet, and then we and then to really top it all off and to show off how smart we are. I got show off how smart we are. We're going to call a shovel pass. I mean, you gotta be freaking kidding me! I understand it was a I, Zach. I understand it was a sold out game. I understand it was Sunday night football. About thirty some odd million people across the country watched it. I understand AFC champions divisional game. Big Bad Ravens. Ray Lewis. Nelly's in the crowd. Uh, I got I got I got my old classmates at the game from from middle school. I got my old I got a few buddies of mine that I graduated from high school with at the game. My old PE teacher and middle school basketball coaches at the game. My my high school. History teachers at the game. I mean, my 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 my. I mean, I, I understand that there was a it was a big deal this game. I understand that. But Zach Tedeschoff, how smart he is in front of Nelly and my on again off again quote unquote uh, middle school girlfriend. It's going to show how smart he is with a damn shovel pass on fourth and goal when his team has struggled to score points all night. I mean, you must be kidding me. Oh, my gosh. The, the fact that he caught a shovel pass is... is uh, what? It is fourth and goal. I don't care what the analytics say. I don't give a damn what the analytics say. What well, the chances of you if you go for the touchdown on fourth and goal, your chances of winning the game will go up uh, 57%. I don't give a crap. Kick the field goal and tie the game up. You know, good and freaking well getting points out of your offense this season, Zach, has been, has, has been the equivalent of sitting through a root canal. And here you are chasing points. <laughs> Yet I'm out of line for, for calling for this for calling him a dope, an idiot, a clueless moron, doesn't know which way is up, saying that he basically is just riding the coattails of Joe Burrow and his team's high-end talent and me. Tongue and cheek calling for a job. I'm the one that's that's at fault here. When he's sitting up here embarrassing himself in front of a, in front of America with his god awful play calling, I can find high school football coaches that can manage a game and call better plays offensively than this dope can. Jesus, it's just like I can't even believe it. Another thing I'm tired of, too. I am tired of... It's enough with Zach, with the players, Burrow included. It's, it's enough. From the players and the coaches, with the cliches, with the tired, repeated, robotic coach speak after these games. It's it's enough of the season's still young. We got plenty of time. It's, we're not panicking. 
we played well. I love the heart and hustle that we showed and participation trophy. Get my trophy and put a bust up in Canton because they tried hard for a full football game. Holy crap. They they tried hard and they completed a football game, something they're getting paid to do. Give them the Nobel Prize and put their bust up in Canton next August. I mean, Wake up and play better football. Enough of the coach speak. Enough of the stupid ass cliches. Play better football. Score some points. Score 30 points for once in your damn lives. And win some games consistently. I get so sick and tired of, uh, well, it's just, uh, you know, we play well. They're a tough team. Uh, it's still a young seat. Guys, we're a month into the season and you're two and three as the defending AFC champions as Super Bowl contenders. With a, t with a win now ready team. Wake up. You're not the Seattle Seahawks at two and three. You're the Cincinnati Bengals at two and three. The Seattle Seahawks can go in front of the media and can and can shovel that crap because they're not in a position to compete to win championships in 2022. You guys are, and you're playing like you're and you're playing like you're more deserving of a top 15 draft pick than you are playing in Super Bowls. And when is the time to panic? When is the time to, to get a little pissed off and get a little angry? Because you're a month into the season and your play so far through the first month of the season has been shit tea. For the standards that us Bengals fans had, your play has been rather shitty. And even in your two wins this season, you could have played better. I'm tired of it. Wake up. Score some points. Cut the garbage. Cut the crap. Stop talking. Ask to speak loud in the words. Go out there and play like you're capable of playing with all this roster, with all this talent up and down this damn roster. Close out games defense. When the opportunities present present themselves inside two minutes in the fourth quarter, get off the field, stop allowing a team's best receiver to take over the final drive. Offense don't wait until the second half in order for you to get it in the gear and start scoring some points. Play better, win some games, get on a winning streak, and play like like I know you're capable of playing. Because your play this season has been rather disgusting to watch. <sighs> Real quick. I was at the game on uh, Sunday night. And the experience was absolutely fantastic. I tweeted it out about a day or so ago, and 
I will say it again. I'll continue to say every NFL fan has got to uh, has got to go out of his way at least once in at least once at some point in time in their life go out of their way and come to Baltimore and watch a uh, and watch a, uh, a a Ravens home primetime game because they are because they are the Ravens put on a show uh you know for the fans and create an environment uh for their game for their primetime home games now I understand I'm in T Bank Stadium and all fairness is the only NFL stadium I've been to but from what I but even heading into Sunday night what I've uh what what I what I what I would uh I, what I've even seen coming across on television is that the experience of Ravens games um uh is uh, experience at Ravens games during home night game home primetime games is something that I haven't seen from any other stadium in the sport not Green Bay not Pittsburgh not uh, not New England not SoFi Ray, from at least coming across on TV Ravens is class one of one as far as the experience and the atmosphere for primetime night for primetime uh for primetime home games so I think every football fan should make it should uh, make it should make it about their business to come uh, to come to Baltimore for at least and watch and go go to uh, at least one Ravens primetime game because they and I put it on my uh, social media for you guys to see it at the J Shield on Twitter and Instagram that they 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 first of all they cut off the lights and they play the. Omar Whistle. For those of you who aren't familiar, the show, the famous HBO show, The Wire, took place here in Baltimore, and uh, they play the Omar, and they've been playing the Omar Whistle before they come out uh, for team introduction for pregame introductions ever since Michael K. Williams, uh, ever since Michael K. Williams uh, passed away, uh, passed away about a year or so ago. Um, and then they play the whistle and they play the, and they play an intent type video sounds cranked all the way up. And then, you know, they go as the, as the intensity of the hype video gets, gets higher and higher and higher. You know, you got, you, you got the, you got the fireworks going off left and right. The flickering led lights, the spotlight It's almost as if like you're in the NBA arena. Cause you got the spotlight. You got like a couple spotlights going around the stadium left and right. And, and you and you, and you have yeah of course the the you can see the light of the of the of the Ravens tunnel down there uh, in the back of the end zone and then they got the they got the music blaring and with every player that comes out the fireworks pew, go up in the air and and what and what they did was that they gave every fan that walked through the gate a white uh, a white LED light uh, uh, wristband. That you put on you that I guess somewhere in the stadium they had the you know the uh, they got the uh, the um the little um like the you know like the control or whatever to like operate okay they flash at what color during this period or whatever and everybody wear and everybody puts it on so when you know when they go through when they shut the lights off you know and 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 the lights are flickering on it's a really really cool experience like I. Like even like when they uh, like I give you an example two minute warning before the half, um, uh, 
the uh, with two minute warning before the half, they uh, had like the crucial because uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They and the NFL with their crucial cash campaign that they've been doing since two thousand and nine. They had, and you've seen it's something similar to what baseball does at the World Series and at the All Star Game, where everybody, you know, I see, like to stand up the cancer thing, and they all had like, you know, it was like the, it was like it was, you know, the moment in the game during a commercial, two minute warning before the half, and everybody's uh, standing up, you know, standing up for, uh, and they had like a, a, a like a a lot a. a, a, a had like a, a line of women that were standing on the field that were breast cancer survivors and everybody was like applauding them and saluting them and they had like the signs you know stand up for cancer for such and such and and because the way in the nfl has done this i want to say since 2017 or 18 where and i'm not really in i'm not really uh in favor of this, if it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. All the other cancers have their own awareness months for a reason. But the NFL kind of threw all the cancers into one basket and essentially, you know, used Bre October Breast Cancer Awareness Month as like to do all the cancers. So, and if you see it, you know, the NFL, they have like a... They have like you know the ribbon of like all the different colors signifying all the different kinds of cancer. So you so when you would stand up, all the lights, all the wristbands would be lighted up and all like the different colors, you know, for the cancers. You know, pink for breast cancer, um, or or uh, yellow for pediatric cancer, uh, sky blue for uh, for prostate cancer, and so on and and so on and so forth. So. It was really cool to see that they would shut the lights off at various times in the fourth quarter to play uh, hype videos to get the fans all rowdy. Uh, apparently, Enter Sandman's a popular song down at the bank because they played it. Because uh, they played it with the lights all shut out, shut out, and shut sh with the lights shut off, and then the crowd was singing along to the song and. And and when it was like intense moments, like where it was like a boom, where like you know it it was a moment of one of the hype videos that they put on a jumbotron, where it was like bass in it, it was like doom, like that. And you and you would and you would look at the you would look at the seats surrounding you know where the squat where the end zone uh, jumbotrons were, and it and it was the and it would have an effect with the wristbands where it was like a, it was it, the lights the white lights were like expanding outward as if it was supposed to like mimic like a sound wave. That was cool as well. And Nelly was fun and Nelly was fun too. They had Ray Lewis, of course, do his thing at halftime, uh, with, you know, when Nelly, when Nelly performed, which was, uh, which was cool, which was fun to see. And during the national anthem, they also, they kept the lights shut out and they had the aforementioned spotlight, on the Morgan State Choir, which sung the national anthem for the game, had the light shut out, and all and everybody's wristbands were lit up in like red, white, and blue around uh, you know around the stadium. You know, because typically teams, you know, like they have the flag out there on the field. There was no flag on the field, so basically, like the American flag, so to speak, was was the lights in the stands. Uh, and it was really cool to see, and of course, you know, the, the, when it goes to red rockets glare, what, whatever the line is, uh, you know, of course, the red fireworks go off, and then, it, of course, it being in Baltimore, when it goes to oh say does that, and they, and with the and when the O line, the whole crowd goes oh, you know, we it's the Baltimore thing with the Orioles and everything else.
Um, but it it was a hell of an experience. I got there. I got at the game about. I think I walked into that stadium a little after seven o'clock, about seven o five, seven ten. So I was in the stadium well an hour before kickoff. Um, the lines at some of the concession stands were crazy and, you know, trying to walk and navigate the concourse while everybody's trying to get food before the game starts is, was challenging, but you know, I'd rather, and this is, and this is the method I also learned too, when I went to Warriors games this year, it's better for me to get my food before the game starts. I sit down with my food and watch the game while eating, then get food in the middle of the game. And then you know worry about missing stuff and all the other and all the other sort of thing. But I got there, uh, I got about and I walked Ravens walks. You saw my story as as some of you uh, saw on my Instagram, and I you know and you saw it. There was chaos left and right. They had a Jimmy's Seafood food, which is also in the stadium, by the way. Uh, they had a food truck outside the stadium, Dunkin' Donuts food truck. They had an M&T Bank tent. They had a little Oakley's tent, a little pop-up shop for Oakley's because Lamar Jackson has a, a sponsorship deal with Oakley. They had a tent where they, you know, you could sit, you could sit down, and you could play Madden. You, they had like a little thing where fans can pretend like there's like a replica of the Ravens tunnel that the players come out of where. And the raven and the raven eye on the logo is red, so they have like a little tunnel. And you've seen it, where like where it's like the where it's like two uh, flashing red eyes signifying the raven eye with the smoke. And Ravens fans go in there and and take pictures as if they're walking through the tunnel that's in the stadium. It was a really really cool unique ex- unique experience. It re- it really really was very cool, very unique. I recommend every football fan. Make the trip down to Baltimore to at least once for a primetime game because it it is absolutely, it's it's, it's something to see and you'll leave, and you'll leave being quite impressed and very amazed I tell you, um and uh, and also by the way uh, before we uh, move on with the baseball, um yours truly I don't know if you saw it but and who's watching Football Night in America at seven o'clock when there's still game, live games going on from the four twenty five window. But um, but I was on Football Night in America as a member, you know, of the when they you know when they do Football Night, they got the studio crew with Maria and Tony Dungy and Florio, and they got them in the studio, and then they send uh, and then they send the and then they send two people to uh, to go to the game, you know, live, and you know they go they send two people on location. And Jack Collinsworth is typically the one that goes with Rodney Harrison, who they moved out of the studio last year on location. But for whatever the reason, Colin, Jack Collinsworth wasn't there. I know he does the Army, or not the Army, he does the Notre Dame games play-by-play for NBC. Um, but he wasn't there, and Catherine Tappan uh, was there, uh, who formerly, you know, would do NBC's, uh, would, I believe was their studio host when NBC had the hockey about a year or so ago. Now I think, now sh- I think she's just doing NFL football. I don't, you know, outside of watching Sunday Night Football, I really don't watch NBC all the hell of a lot, especially with their, you know, with their, you know, I'm not into the horse racing when a hockey fan when they had a, not still a hockey fan now, but of course didn't watch it when they had the hockey and I'm not a Notre Dame uh, football fan by any stretch of the imagination, and you know I haven't sat down and watched an Olympiad in God knows how long. So 
the only sports I watch on NBC essentially is Sunday night is Sunday night football. Uh, golf, you know, few and far in between when it's on NBC as well. But she was there, and Rodney Harrison were there, and they had like this little set. You've seen it. Where it's like this little. It's got FN, FNIA on it, Apple Bs, everything. And I and they had like a, the fans surrounding the NBC set that was right outside the main entryway in the stadium, and they had Ravens cheerleaders there, and and I actually I actually thought that 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 they were on the air until I looked at my until I looked at the time I was like wait they're not on the air yet so and this is like at six fifty five six fifty six so I said well let me see if I can find a spot stand here. And you know, get myself on TV for like the first for like the first ten minutes of the show. And all behold, I stand out there. You know, you can see you can see the confidence monitor for you know basically what's going on, what they see when they're on the air, and what's going on. You know, if you're watching it at home on regular television, and of course, you know, you hear the director five, four, three, and then Ravens. You know, and I'm in the back pumping my fist, throwing my head, trying to show people that I'm a Bengals fan. And everything else, the Bengals fan, you know, in enemy territory and everything else is there dissecting and talking about the, you know, the games that was going on the previous, you know, the, earlier in the day. So that was cool. And then Monday comes along and Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee show, who hosted the Pat McAfee show, obviously, who I'm a solid fan of. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, he's a good guy. And listen, if you're a football fan, how the hell do you not know who Pat McAfee is in 2022? Um, and he, you know, he has a show, uh, that he airs on a YouTube Monday through Friday at noon. And he has a segment on there every, every, uh, football Monday. He calls it, you know, what, and he has, and he tweets it out in the morning. It's hashtag PMS Pat. I don't want to re overreact, but, and it's, and it's an opportunity for football fans all across the world to tell Pat, you know, what, the, you know, something that's bothering them about their favorite team or something that they learned about or, or took from Sunday's action in the sport. And it, and Pat basically, you know, if he if they have select a, a, a list of tweets and whatever tweets that they like the best they found to be the most intriguing, they uh, put they display it on their show and they you know and he and the toxic table and AJ they talk about it, um, and lo and behold they ended up picking mine, and mine was uh, and mine was Pat I don't want to over. Well, that was a hashtag, but mine was essentially, among other things, uh, Zach Taylor stinks as an offensive play caller. Ran the fi That's nothing. I've, by the way, I forgot to mention. What the hell are we doing running a Philly special? I mean, are we say hey, you run the Philly special? You don't even run, you use the guy to be the, the to be the quarterback with that play like you did in the Super Bowl with Mixon. Why is Tyler Boyd the quarterback when you're running the Philly special? And why are you running the Philly specials to begin with anyway? Forgot to mention that. Thank God I read that. Reminded myself. Uh, running the Philly. Anyway. Philly special. Not one run play inside that red zone drive. And then passing up the chip shot. Game time figure for a shovel pass. Having scored 30 points at not once this season. Zach Taylor's wasting talent. And something that I've become notoriously famous for on Twitter. Is when Zach Taylor has these god awful games. And when, the, and when my Bengals crap their pants. That I tweet out a picture of him with a clown a wig on and a, and, and, a, and, a, and a big red nose. 
And that also, and I put that on my, uh, and I added that to my tweet, and lo and behold, and ended up uh, making the air. And I got people text me all day at work when I was at work on a Monday afternoon saying, "Yo, John, your tweet made a Pat McAfee show. Your tweet made a Pat McAfee show." And I, lo and behold, I go back and I and I look, and it's like, "Oh, how about that?" So, uh, people texting me and DMing me left and right. You know that's that's so cool. You're on you tweet got featured on the Pat McAfee show. Look at greatness at work and this, that, and the other. Which, which you know, great greatness and legends a little strong. You know, I'm just a, you know I'm just an idiot that sits behind a microphone and just and shares his mind and speaks his mind on sports. But you know, it was it was pretty cool. You know, having my tweet featured on having my tweet featured on and being. Uh, and being featured on a widely viewed and wide and 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 big time uh, popular uh, NFL uh, internet show, which 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 was very uh, cool as well. And then and that coming off the backs of being featured on Football Night in the crowd uh, on uh, Sunday night prior to the game. Fifty-two minute Sunday night football recap. We'll get to the baseball. This is the I'm Till I Can Tell You podcast. Welcome back to the Avatarki TIS podcast. Switching gears now to uh, the baseball postseason as we put a bow on quickly the American League wildcard series and the National League wildcard series that was uh, from over the weekend. Excuse me. Um, first off, where we will begin is with the New York Mets. I mean, if you are the New York Mets, you cannot under any circumstances, and no Met fan, and this is me stating the obvious, but no Met fan gives a damn nor wants to hear about winning a successful season and nothing to be ashamed of, hold our heads up high, and, and no one wants to hear that because they won 101 regular season games. Nobody wants to hear that right now. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wanted to hear it on Sunday night. Nobody wanted to hear it Monday morning. Hear it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, uh, Hanukkah, New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day. No Met fan in, in the world wants to hear any talk or any dribble about their about their 101 win regular season being a quote-unquote successful season because it wasn't okay the bottom line is is that the New York Mets collapsed the New York Mets had not only had a rough last seven or eight days of what ended up being the rest of their season they had a bad month and a half their September, as we discussed 
uh, in the in the weeks prior, their schedule, their the, the way that they played in September was absolutely unforgivable. Un unforgivable. I mean, you go back and you look. They lost series to the. They lost series to the pits. They they somehow some way. Uh, they somehow some way. Uh, didn't sweep the Pirates. They lost the series at home to the Nationals. They didn't sweep the Marlins. They got swept at home by the Chicago Cubs. And they couldn't sweep the A's. And they split a two-game series in their building the 27th and the 28th of September against the Marlins. I mean, I don't care if you won 115 games, 120, or won 150 games. That is completely unacceptable. When the Braves... Had when the Braves had a much tougher schedule than the Nationals did, or excuse me, than the Mets did in September. When you have a cakewalk and a gift of all gifts of a of a September schedule like the one the Mets had last month, and you not only crap the bed in that month and then go forth to play the Atlanta Braves, a series that all you had to do was win one game, one game. And the division was your and the division was yours, and they got swept out of town and were not in competitive in any of the three games on top of the horrendous September that they had, that is completely unacceptable and unforgivable. And I'm sorry. I love Buck Showalter. I love him. I wish he there are times, even with the crazy season that my Bengals had, or excuse me, my Bengals, my Orioles had this year winning 83 games. I still, at moments in time, was like, man, I still wish that Buck was in charge. But he a lot of this collapse that the that that the Mets endured over the last month and few weeks here in October falls on his shoulders. Okay. He tried to get too cute was too coy and played around with this pitching staff. Does the ground pitch game one? Does the ground pitch game two? When does Scherzer pitch? Not disclosing if there's any issues with the ground. Not just just playing coy and playing games and playing semantics and mind games with 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 their opponents and with us the, the you know the fans slash and then of course obviously the members of me not being upfront and honest about about what his plan was going to be with with Scherzer and Degrom. I understand gamesmanship. But it gets to a certain point where 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 it becomes where it becomes a joke and it and it be, and you're making a mockery of it at the at, at, at a certain point. The Grom should have pitched game one. And the thing that I did not like uh, from Buck that and, and from Buck and from this Met team in a Padres series, which we'll get to in a minute. But the thing I didn't like is that they overlooked San Diego in managing their pitching staff. They tried to. They got too cute, and tried to, and were playing, and were just playing. They were just, they were just fooling around. Like take the game as take the games that you play and your season playing playoff baseball as they come. You don't worry about how you're going to manage your starting rotation against the Dodgers in the second round, and if you play the Braves and the no in the playoff. In honest, and I understand baseball. Like hockey, like basketball, unlike football, where one where you lose one game, you're not dead. See, um, you know, see, uh, 
you know, the Met, this Mets series for a perfect for a perfect example. But they had to get it out of their head that playing the Dodgers in the divisional series was a given. I understand best two out of three. I get that. I understand that you can that you know that that the uh, Mets had a better regular season than the uh, had a better regular season than the uh, Padres did. I get that too, but I can't stand overlooking opponents and essentially pushing opponents to the side. You know, uh, pushing a current opponent to the side, looking ahead to somebody else. When is it? Uh, every single time a team does that, you know what? You know what comes to mind. You know what comes to mind for me, for me personally, when the 2017 Steelers did it, and they thought that it was basically a, 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 a sure doubt, no doubt about it, uh, opportunity and chance for them to uh, for them to play uh, the uh, the the New England Patriots in a, in, its, in the uh, 17 championship game. And you know what they did? They slept walk and they got punched in the face and were ambushed by Blake Bortles, Leonard Fournette, Jalen Ramsey, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they, and they didn't even get to play the Patriots in the championship game. Five was five years ago. Every I I hate it when teams do it. I hate it when the Patriots, when the Steelers did it. I hate it when every team does it. When they overlook a current opponent, when when they think they're so good, they're so big and bad, and that it's basically you know, and it's and and it's and it's already set in stone that they're going to advance to the next round without any problems, without any issues to take on to take on a bigger and better opponent, and they over and 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 the and the and the, and the challenge your team and I basically overlook the small potatoes only for the small potatoes to come up from the pits of hell and ambush them smack them around a little bit and next thing you know the New York Mets are sitting at home so I hate that take and manage game by it's your seat one game by game basis you manage your series you met you or excuse me you manage your team on a game by game basis you worry about the Dodgers when you play the Dodgers. You worry about who's starting game one of the NLDS when that time gets there. You're not getting anywhere if you don't, if you, if, you know, without taking care of business and beating the San Diego Padres, which the New York Mets failed to do. On top of that, on top of the pathetic September, on top of the fact that they that 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 they that uh, that their pitching was deplorable and their Hitting couldn't pick couldn't pick up the slack against Atlanta. The final regular season, the final weekend of the regular season, perfect storm. And then you saw from the Mets, which you which which you got over the over the weekend, and it, it, that's just completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. They 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 had their eggs. They too many eggs in one basket in terms of counting on Starling Marte to return. Too many. I understand that that he provides that he provides an element in their lineup that they desperately missed while he was gone. But it is completely unfair on him. And listen, you're gonna kill Starlin. You're gonna kill uh and get on Starlin Marte for um for you're gonna kill Starlin Marte for hitting uh for going uh two of twelve in this series. Coming off of an injury, it's not fair to him. When when did he have an opportunity to play in a couple of re- of regular season games, and and to and, and get his feet under him, knowing that if you know you know knowing that it's not you know all all or nothing, you know where it's lose you go home, when you move on, 
without that high intent. I understand the series they had against the Braves was high intensity, but it wasn't a playoff. It, they weren't playoff games. They were regular season games. So you can't get on Marte for going two, two of 12 when he barely, where it was, okay, Marte, you're ready, you're healthy, you're good to go, your hand's fine, okay, and we got to chuck him into the deep end of the pool and, and, and throw him into the middle of the, uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the burning pit to see if he can provide the Mets a little bit of offense. And he most obviously, and, and shocking to no one, could not. They were too, they had too many they had too many uh they they had too many eggs in one basket two 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 too many eggs in one basket with, and counting on Marte to come back Lindor who you know Lindor who's a who's has got every look of the of being a five tool player can hit for average and can hit for power he became way 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 too home run heavy. Uh, and throughout the back half of the season, trying to overcompensate for the Mets' lack of offense, there were plenty of bad at bats he had Friday night, where all where the Mets are need looking for some runs and got a and got a slowly but surely chip 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 away at the Padres' uh, lead, and Lindor's you know swinging for the fences when when he, you know, when he's at the when he's hitting at the top of the lineup, and the Mets need to get a couple of guys on so they can build a potential rally. And Lindor is sitting up there swinging for the fences. Shares are completely wet the bed in game one. I mean, if you're a Met fan watching that game, you are vomiting over the weekend. Vomiting. And you look at what Scherzer did on Friday night. I mean, you're paying Scherzer all this money. And he sits up there, and and he and he sits up there, and he gives you four and two thirds of inning, two, four and two thirds worth of work, seven hits, seven runs on seven hits, only four strikeouts. He gives up four home runs. Really, paying him all that money. And Scherzer is not as great in the regular season as team, as players uh, seem as 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 the masses seem to think he is. But uh, but so I so I understand that you know uh, Strasburg was the starting pitcher and was the workhorse that helped carry the National City Championship a few years ago. Not, not, not. It wasn't. He wasn't the best starting pitcher. Steven Strasburg was, but that, but that's, but that's unfor, but that's unforgivable. Sure, it's playing the way, pitched the way he did on Friday. And then you know Degrom gives them a solid effort. They win game two, and then game three, they they completely wet the bed. Can't hit. P- you know pitching f- comes up short. Taiwan Walker doesn't get the job done, and it's good night, goodbye, and we'll see you in March twenty twenty uh, and twenty twenty three. Or it was Bassett pitch, not Walker. It was Bassett. But still. Could only muster up one hit all night long. One hit. And Musgrove is sitting up there, you know, mowing the Mets down. And I got to, and I got to, and of course, obviously I didn't see it because I was at the Bengals game. But I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm like, wait, he did what now? And I, and I see that Musgrove is, you know, is is getting rubbed down and dressed down by the umpires to see whether or not he's got, see whether or not he's got a foreign substance uh, sitting on his ears. Uh, 
I mean, really? You get your team has had one hit all night long, Buck. Your offense has been up and down, inconsistent to put it nicely at best. You haven't been your team hasn't been able to hit the way out of a paper bag. You're being dominated and embarrassed in your own home ballpark. Scherzer got booed off the mound on Friday night in your last loss. The, the fan base is nervous as hell, and you and you guys sit up there in turn. And 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 you gotta and you gotta send and you gotta send out the umpires to basically rub down Musgrove's ears. I mean, really? That if you're Buck Showalter, that's been around the game a long time. That's that's the way you want your team after 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 the 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 the, the heartbreaking and disappointing and and subpar underwhelming ending to your 101 win season in which you just spent over well over 100 and. 50 something days in first place. That's how that's the that's the final snapshot, the final uh, uh memory that you want in in America's uh mind about your season is that as a last ditch effort to see if you can get Musgrove out of the game when your team can't hit, you know, when when your team can't hit him worth a damn is go out there and and have the umpires rub down his head. That's weak, buck. That's I love him. Love him, love him, love him, love him, love him. But that was bush league. That was weak. That and and that and that was unbecoming. And Bucks better than that. Bucks better than that. We can't hit him. We can't beat him. So we see. So we're gonna send the umpires out there to harass him because because we think he's cheating. I mean that's that's really low. Really, 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 really low. And then with the game four nothing, you know, with with their chances dwindling, but any semblance and any opportunity of them getting of them getting a rally, you know, you'd rather rally at four nothing than down six nothing. He brings in Michael Givens in the eighth inning instead of uh, instead of Diaz, your best reliever. A, you might as well let him at least get some work one more time before your season goes up in smoke, and say and you say good night till next uh, till next March. And then secondly, you know, you put in your best reliever so you make sure a, all we need is three base runners and we bring a tying run to the plate. Instead of going the three machinations, we gotta you know get get collect the runners on base. You hit the grand slam, you're still down by two runs. You'd rather come back, especially in the eighth inning, down four nothing when your team hasn't hit, than six nothing. Because four nothing, you really don't even have to. You could get one hit and load the bases. One little knock, throwing a hit by pitch, or throwing a you know reliever coming back to back walks or whatever. Or 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 fielding error or or fielding error by the uh, by the Padres defense load up the bases you bring up the tying run. I tell you, it has not exactly been the last two playoff appearances for Buck Showalter haven't exactly been uh, his uh, most his uh, his uh, greatest uh, shining moments. In his career as manager, and uh, and then throw and then if you think that's bad, then the Blue Jays come in in game uh, in game two, and and are responsible for the biggest 
uh, for one of the biggest uh, for uh, and they're responsible for the for the Manners being the only team in the history of the sport down uh, down what what was it eight nothing in the uh, down eight nothing uh, and come back and win it as a uh, as a um, road playoff team. First team history of the sport down eight runs on the road in a playoff game and came back and won it ten nine. I mean that 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 is that really really is remarkable. Four in the sixth, four in the eighth, one in the ninth. If you're the blue, if you're a Blue Jay fan, you had to be sick to your stomach and still sick to your stomach and will be sick to your stomach until next season. I mean that I'm sorry with all that uh, and I said I I said it I said it I said it on Friday that they're the only although I didn't pick them to win this series I said they're the only team only team in the out of the 14 teams heading into Friday when the playoffs began they're the only team that can hit their way to a championship because of the amount of dynamic firepower they have with their bats. But see why they didn't move on because the pitching's got to do its job, which they did not. Bullpen, just terrible. Terrible. Cal Riley has been an absolute godsend for the Manners over the last few weeks. And if you're a Blue Jay fan, you're going to be sick all, and you're going to have a long, cold, lonely, and dark winter. That I can guarantee you. Uh, the Cardinals get bounced, um, and I the at bat the at bats that Nolan Arenado and uh, Paul Goldschmidt uh, put on display on Saturday night was abs- was absolutely disgraceful. Uh, I, I, I mean, you got runners on the runners on the, on the, we got runners on base tight game and Paul Goldschmidt is just swinging at every pitch. He, he, he sets his eyes on, I mean, Paul, could you put the bat on your shoulder and take a couple before you start swinging and hacking at every damn thing, please? Arenado, you two, a little bit better plate discipline and a, and a, and a, and a close game. You got runners on base trying to rally late in the game. Facing elimination, you guys are, are up there at the plate as if you're going, as if you're at the, as if you're, you know, hitting the ball out the out the sand trap at Augusta. Really? And the Guardians able to move on to play the Yankees, which I, which I, uh, which I, I had a, I, except for the Mets, which ironically enough was my World Series prediction, the team I predicted to win it all in. All of a sudden, going this little hot streak because you know, as a as a as a and using the uh, Mets or excuse me, the um, the uh, the Brave series as kind of like a confidence reset. Lo and behold, they get bounced, but everything but outside of the Mets, everything I got right in the wild card series. Guardians move on, and that game on Saturday afternoon was people talking about how great it was. There's nothing great, and I'm a fine, and I'm a read you the box score. There is nothing great, nothing great, nothing exciting, anything. 
There's nothing great about a 15-hour marathon game. I don't give a damn if it's playoffs or not. There was nothing exciting or nothing thrilling or nothing intriguing about that uh, one nothing 15-inning scoreless marathon uh, for 14 and a half innings between the Rays and the Guardians. None. When both teams combine for 11 hits in 15 innings worth of play, and even less than that through the first nine innings of play, I can't listen. It's, it's, a, it's a great game. No. When I got players swinging and missing left and right, and, I, they, and the Guardians lineup struck out 19 times, and the Tampa Bay lineup struck out 20 times, and they were and and they and teams and the in the and the Indians only got uh two uh, two opportunities to to drive in runs with guys in scoring position. It's not a great game when it when it's a combined zero for eight with runners in scoring position and a combined uh and a combined eleven hits and fifteen innings worth of action. And outside of here and there, that where that were teams had an opportunity to break the game open, and it wasn't a great game. I'm all for I'm all for a pitcher's duel, but that was completely I won't say unwatchable, but that was not entertaining baseball to watch. I'm sorry that I would like I like to see a little bit of offense, please. And the fact that there was 90 million strikeouts in the game didn't help. Yeah, Tampa struck out 20. Times, Cleveland struck out 19. When the ball is barely put in play and getting base hits, let alone scoring runs, came at a premium, that's not a great baseball game. I'm sorry. It, it's just not. But the Guardians move on. Walk off home on the 15th to play the Yankees. Speaking of the Yankees, we'll break down that series against the Guardians along with many other series in the National League and American League Ch- uh, Divisional Series. This is the I'm Until I Can Tell You podcast, back in the flash.
Welcome back to the Amatelakitayas podcast. Switching gears now to the American League and National League Division Series uh, that began here on this uh, Tuesday, the 11th. Um, Do the National League uh, first. Uh, and the Phillies uh, took care of business in game one. Uh, took care of business in game one against the Braves by the final score of seven to six. Uh, they struck early, two run first inning, two run third, two run fourth, and a run in the fifth. And uh, they had to escape a three run a ninth inning rally by Atlanta, but they were able to do so. Uh, you go ahead and uh, and the starting pitcher for. Uh, for Philadelphia Suarez, three and a third uh, went the uh, as they went the uh, three and a third, uh, three hits, one run, uh, five strikeouts, and it was a bullpen game from there on out. Uh, the Phillies bullpen uh, did a sensational job uh, outside outside of uh, Eflin, who who had the uh, ninth inning and basically allowed uh, the uh, Braves to have their biggest inning of the uh, of game uh, of game. Uh, one earlier this afternoon, uh, allowing uh, three hits on uh, three hits on three runs, uh, and gave up the uh, and gave up the home run to um, to uh, who did he give it up to on uh, Dansby uh, Dansby Swanton? Wait, am I looking at the wrong thing? Uh, no, off of Matt Olson with two on and one out. I was looking at the wrong. Uh, line here in the box score, but Philly took care of business, winning game uh, one seven to six. The Braves this season have been one of the worst teams in baseball in day games. Uh, they are they have they've struggled with day games all season long, and uh, came back to and that problem came back to bite them uh, in the it came back to bite them in the dairy air. Uh, in game one today, they had uh, Max Freed on the mound, who was just absolutely horrendous. Uh, had a had a sensational regular season. Uh, for, had a sensational regular season form, but was went three and a third, gave up eight hits on. Uh, excuse me, gave up six runs on eight hits. Uh, four uh, all of uh, four out of the uh, six runs were earned. Uh, walked the batter only. Sh- walked the batter only struck out. Uh, to the elite performance in the game, how about Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos, who combined for six of eight hitting, uh, who combined a six of eight hitting uh, fourth and fifth in a lineup on uh, fourth and fifth in a lineup here on Tuesday. Castellanos three for five had three RBIs, uh, three RBIs on the afternoon. Bryce Harper the DH three of five. Uh, with a with a walk, and those two just had a sensational afternoon. Throwing uh, throwing Gene Segura, who went to who went uh, who was a two for four with an RBI. Uh, Bohm, who went one for four, had an RBI on the afternoon uh, as well. And Reese and uh, Reese Hoskins, the first baseman. Uh, Reese Hoskins, the first baseman, or not him, not because uh, he and Real Muto went uh, combined. Uh, two for ten on the afternoon, but uh, get but give um Harper and Casti Ca- Harper Castellanos Bohm and Segura credit. Those guys uh f- those those guys four five four through six in hitting the lineup for Philadelphia today were a combined uh were a combined seven of uh were a combined seven of 
do the math. So eight plus eight plus the four were combined seven of twelve uh, with uh, with five RBIs on the afternoon as they did a sensational job providing the offense for Philadelphia early in this game. Uh, had a two hour RBI from uh, from Bohm Castellanos. Uh, and Segura uh, during the uh, sequence of the game was five for twelve with uh, runners in scoring position. Harper uh, with a sacrifice fly being his uh be or excuse me scored or had a sacrifice in the game. I apologize uh, as well. And then with the Braves offense, you know, took them a while for them to uh, for them to wake up. Uh, although Acuna had a very good afternoon at the office, three of four uh, with and reached on a walk. Uh, Matt Olson two two for three, uh, but you take away him, uh, you take away his performance and Travis Darno who went two of five. You know, Arcia, Grossman, Rosario who pinch hit, Acuna who pinched hit, uh, what um, uh, uh, Riley the third baseman. Not a whole lot of offense, especially early in the game, uh, for uh, the Phillies in this game. The th- the key is for the for the uh, for the Braves in this series is 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 good is got to have the good pitching. As you saw today, if you if Max Freed and if that starting rotation doesn't go out there and dominate and then leave it to their bullpen, now the problem is with uh, and the problem is with the Braves now is that they're starting this series behind the eight ball somewhat because they're be- because they're being granted they they've been they have they have been well rested they haven't played a game uh in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a, uh, about a week and a few in about what the last 8 9 days but the problem is with these short series that you don't want to wear out your bullpen uh, especially early in the series when you don't have to, and because of the fact that Freed couldn't do his job and and couldn't get out of uh and couldn't get out of the uh, fourth inning, now that this now this now they gotta essentially with their bullpen they gotta play themselves and dig themselves out of a hole that they put themselves in. But the Braves starting pitching's gotta has got to do its job, and that's a bad outing from Freed as the Philadelphia Phillies just wasted no time getting to him and getting into deep into that uh, Atlanta Braves bullpen seven runs on uh, seven runs on twelve hits, uh, and then the other series in the NLDS that's happening out west. You got a boy. The National League really put the division in division, really put the divisional in divisional series with the two matchups being uh being uh two two division rivals going up against each other and all AL West matchup all California matchup between the Padres and the Dodgers and then an all NL East matchup happening over here on the East Coast down in Atlanta between the uh, between the Phillies and the Braves between the uh, Dodgers and the uh, Padres uh, game one over there that game will start about 937 uh, Eastern time 637 out West uh, we got uh, Julio Urias 17 and 7 during the regular season with a 2.16 ERA certainly a uh, Cy Young uh, can Cy Young candidate going up against Mike Clevenger who had a who was 7 and 7 with a 4.33 ERA uh, the uh, Padres cross-country uh, plane ride from New York to LA uh, with only the one day off in between games on Monday night, we'll see how they respond. How we'll see how they start things out offensively, especially when they hit the ball. Uh, when they uh, hit the ball tremendously well, they hit the they hit uh, got four hit four arm runs. Excuse me. 
off of Scherzer on Friday night and and runs certainly they uh, they were there was no uh, uh, shortage of runs from San Fran- San Francisco from San Diego on Friday night had a little bit of an eh night against uh, against the uh, Mets on set had an eh night against the Mets Saturday night scoring three runs on uh, six hits. Um, and, and got to the Grom a little bit, but not as much as they did uh, Scherzer the night before. And then, of course, on the other side, you got the Dodgers, who haven't, you know, who haven't uh, played in a game since, uh, who haven't had, who haven't played a game since last Wednesday. Uh, so they have, so they, what, that's a nine, that's a six, excuse me, what am I doing? That's six days in between games for them, so they've had about a week off. Uh, they should be well rested. The bullpen be well rested. Urias, uh, well rested for uh, for the Dodgers as well. Interesting with this now. Granted, I don't th- I don't think this series will last very long. I think this is the uh, Dodgers. This is this is a this is easy pickings for the Dodgers in this series. They beat the they beat they took the season series from San Diego in the regular season, beating them fifteen out of the nineteen times nineteen games that they played against each other. And the and the Dodgers have done nothing over the last couple of years but beat the hell out of San Diego, especially at Dodger Stadium. And I expect this series between these two ball clubs to be nothing different. I'd be shocked. Absolutely shocked if this game gets to a game five. Shocked. Shocked. Although the thing is about the Dodgers, though, do you trust their starting pitching after Urias? Walker Bueller's out. Kershaw, Deidre. Do you trust them? Do you trust their pitching? They 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 went out there and they essentially told the Padres and told America that they don't trust uh, Craig Kimbrell coming out of the, the back end of the bullpen, especially in a short series such as this one, because they left them off the NLDS roster. Yeah, they, they yeah they came out later and said they have an opportunity to be on the you know to be on the uh, playoff roster later on. But I mean, if, if that goes to show you that they don't trust him enough. To be put in a high leverage situation in the eighth and ninth inning, safe situations in these games, tie games, then, then that tells you all you need to know. Will the Padres pitching hold up? Because that's what because that's what the issue was for the Mets in the wild card series is that outside of the Grom, Scherzer and Bassett didn't answer the bell. They got to the starting pitchers early, and they and they hit them up often. And if the Padres want any chance of winning this series, I suggest to do the same for the Dodgers' uh, rotation and get to their bullpen and make Dave Roberts sweat a little bit when it comes uh, to his uh, bullpen management. As you go to the American League side of things, uh, you have uh, between the uh, and this one and the other three out of the four. Matchups in the divisional series in the what's the first round for the Astros, Yankees, uh, Braves, and Dodgers, and the second round for the Mariners, Guardians, Padres, and Phillies. Three out of the four series matchups are matchups within the within uh, you know the division within the it's an a it's AL West Mariners and Astros, NL West. Uh, Dodgers and Padres, NL East, 
uh, Phillies and Braves. The only one that isn't a divisional uh, match that isn't a uh, in uh, in division matchup in these uh, in these four series is the Yankees and the Guardians, which we'll get to in a minute. But the uh, but the but we get to the uh, Mariners and the uh, Astros at the time of this recording right now. The Astros are down a seven three in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, Justin Verlander, who has just who's put on absolute masterclass in this two thousand in his two thousand and twenty two regular season campaign, who is a sure doubt uh, uh, unanimous Cy Young Award winner coming out of the American League, uh, who who's just been sensational coming off of an elbow surgery at, in his in his uh, late thirties, knocking on forty years of age, put had just vomited all over himself and pissed down his leg in game one. Four innings of work, ten hits, six runs, only three strikeouts, one one uh, one walk, and he gave up uh, and he gave up the home run to uh, J P Crawford at the top of the fourth inning to make it five two Seattle at the time. Uh, so if the Astros and I do expect the Astros to win this series as I predicted on Friday, but if the Astros want any chance and want to have a chance. To win this series, your starting your starting pitching's got to be able to answer the bell. The uh, and and that's a bad and I understand he's been great all season. Uh, so it's in a weird way, it's like it's it's you know he he's human and he's bound to have one bad uh, start. The problem is is that the one bad start you know could put the Astros behind the eight ball as far as having their bullpen be taxed, the momentum with Seattle winning a game on the road in Houston's building, knowing that you know the worst that it say that they hold on to this four run lead here in the, here late in the, here late in the game against Houston. You know, and see, and Houston bounces back and wins games two in wins game two on uh, on Wednesday. They go back home. Worst case scenario with the series tied at a game apiece. So, if you're a Houston, you know, you if you're a Houston Astros fan, there's always tomorrow. But and you're down four runs here late in this game in game one, so it's not like that game one's over either. But boy, did did uh, Verlander pick pick the worst possible time to have his worst outing of the season? Because now your bullpen, because now your bullpen is getting worked a little bit, and now you guys gotta you know be are behind the eight ball, knowing that the best you can do if you don't win game one is split, heading back to Seattle where that crowd is going to be absolutely on fire and energized to the highest uh, watt of voltage. With that, with the Manners playing their first home playoff game in 21 years, so but Verlander's been great. But I mean, you want to talk about the worst time for him to have his worst outing uh, of the season. Meanwhile, uh, Julio Rodriguez coming on uh, has just been absolutely on fire. Was sensational uh, for them in the was sensational for them all season long. Game one thus far at this point of this recording, he's two of three. With two RBIs and a walk, uh, of course you had. Of course, I mentioned uh, Crawford in the fourth inning, uh, hit, hitting the home run with nobody on and two out. 
send uh, um, with uh, Cal Riley, who has just been an absolute godsend for them uh, over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, he's got a, he's has a one for four afternoon with an RBI. Suarez, the third baseman, two for four with an RBI for him as well. Uh, Frazier and Crawford have also mustered up some hits, 13 hits on seven runs at this point for the uh, Seattle Mariners as it's now 7 to 5 after Bregman hits a uh, hit a two run home run after Alvarez uh, got a one out single and now things start a little bit get a little bit more interesting uh for the Houston Astros so I might as well so I better change the subject before I jinx them uh but 7 5 uh, Seattle with uh, Bregman going yard uh to uh, bring in Alvarez to make it a two run two run advantage uh, for the Seattle Manners. And speaking of Jordan Alvarez, he's one of the keys that I wanted to touch on previewing this series. Uh, and regardless of what happens, my pick is still Houston in the, for the for this series and for the and for the National League. It's still the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the, get the Phillies winning game one doesn't change anything in my estimation. But you know, one of the keys if Seattle wants to move on and wants to uh, do well in this series, they should got to shut down. Uh, is that you got to shut down Jordan uh, Alvarez, who has just been absolutely on fire for them this season. Got to shut him down, and of course Bregman, who's got it, who's whose playoff experience and his playoff rap sheet is as long as is you know as the 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 his you know he's got worlds of playoff experience and is a solid uh, postseason player. Bregman is. In terms of the intangibles that he brings and the leadership within that locker room for, uh, for the Astros, so Alvarez, and then of course you work way down the list with Bregman and of course uh, Altuve, and you don't want Bregman to get hot because he can kill you uh, at the plate. And then the other, and then the final series is then we take a break, then turn our heads back to the NFL to close out the show. Uh, with the Yankees as they take on this series against the Guardians. I predict the Yankees to win this series like I did on Friday. Um, it's got Garrett Cole uh, going up against uh, Quantrill for the uh, Guardians in game one. Uh, the thing that would worry you about Garrett Cole if you're a Yankee fan is that, you know, in heading into this game one, that if one little thing goes, if one little thing goes bad, whether it's he, whether it's that he doesn't get a, the, the that he doesn't get a call, he doesn't, you know, from the umpire, um, you know, and an error, the wind blows the wrong. Garrett Cole is one of those pitchers where if one, where if one, a little bit like Chris Bassett, where if one, where if one thing. And it could be the smallest of minute of of uh, of things as far as you know Billy Crystal taking a sweet time with the ceremonial first pitch. Remember that with uh, Cole earlier in the year, one little thing, and, and and all of a sudden his outing is turned on its ear. Bad attitude. He sulks. He mopes. He pouts. He looks like he's on the verge of tears at the time. So, so it's got to be a perfect storm, and every little thing's got to work a okay to Garrett Cole's standards, or else uh, you know, or else you're, or else if you're a Yankee fan, if you're Garrett Cole, you're going to be in for a uh, for a very, very, very uh, long night. But uh, and then of course with the and then of course, but with the Yankees specifically more than anything. Especially with them, where playing uh, playoff games is 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 a, is a regular, 
yearly occurrence at this point. And, you know, an ALDS series against the Indians, or excuse me, the Guardians, although you don't want to overlook them, you know, if they win, you know, we're going to do pop champagne. I mean, and then, you, you know, because then you got Houston waiting for you, uh, more likely than not, maybe, uh, if you uh, if you take care of business against Cleveland. The issue is with the Yankees is can they hit? We've seen playoff. We've seen playoff run. Whether it's whether it be twenty twenty, whether it be in two thousand and uh, whether it be twenty twenty, whether it be uh, nineteen against the Astros in the ALCS or seventeen against the Astros in the ALCS. The issue, or or even or, and I get their pitching wasn't you know anything to write home about in the Red Sox and the eighteen ALDS, but the thing with the Yankees. That that is going to make or break their chances of uh, of them going to the World Series and winning the American League is can they hit? Can they hit top tier pitching? Can they hit the? Can they hit your? Can they hit their opponent's best starting pitcher? Can they get to? Can they can they get to the weak links of their opponent's bullpen when they face the back end of their opponent's bullpen? Can they can they make them work? Can they drive up their pitch count? Can they get on base? Smart at bats, draw the walks, play small ball a little bit to set the stage for you to get those for you to to be the big bashers that 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 this team is. You know, from from April to September on a hundred hundred and sixty two game regular season basis over the last uh, few seasons that we've seen and set up the opportunities for the judges of the world for for Stanton for uh for for um for um Donaldson and others to hit the ball for Matt Carpenter and others to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, the thing is with the Yankees that scares you that's a good regular season formula but fails in the postseason is you know you get up there and you just hit the ball out of the ballpark and if you win a game, you know one nothing or two one or two nothing or three nothing or four nothing and it's like and and out of the you know and out of the three four five runs you know about two three four of them or all of them are via solo home runs you, know, you can you can maybe get a you can get away with that in the regular season playoffs not so much. Playoffs, and I discussed this with you guys on Friday. Hitting the ball out of the ballpark and the playoffs are important, but it more, but it's but what's more valuable, what's more important with the art of the home run and playing in October baseball, is more important of when the home runs come, and how the home runs come, more than it is you hitting them. You know, it's it's more important and it's more intuitive for the Yankees to hit home runs when they need them to, when they when they have rallies, when they got runners on the corners and nobody out or one out, and and the and and they need to either put the or they need a little bit extra cushion to put themselves ahead by two by uh, to put themselves ahead by two runs or three runs or four runs or they're down by a run or they're down by three trying to tie the game or they're down by two and they have an opportunity to go out in front go out in front by a run and they got and they got a runner or two on base those are the opportunities where it's like okay go ahead and see if you can get the big blow and swing for the fences and see if you can put this and flip the game on its ear with one swing 
What does Yankees no favors is when they're in these one is when they're is when they're either down in a hole by by two three runs or more, or it's a nothing nothing pitchers duel a la similar to what we saw from the Guardians and the Rays on Saturday, where they get up to the plate and it's and they and they're and they're and they're hitting they're getting up they're uppercutting the ball. They're hitting it up in the air, or they're swinging and missing and striking out ninety thousand times, because they're trying to do too much when all when all they need is to get a couple of guys on base and wait for the and then wait for the opportunity to hit the ball at the ballpark. Instead, they either they either get down by a significant margin, or they can't hit and they can't score any runs. Then they start to panic and start to try to swing for the fences every single at bat with every single player that comes up to the plate. So if you're the Yankees, it's not about you hitting the home run. It's a matter of when, and it's a matter of when it happens, who's on base, and the situation that you're in. Because if the Yankees use the weapon of hitting the home run to their advantage, they're they're not only going to be okay against Cleveland, they could, they could, could, Make a run in these playoffs, but the empty, but the empty home run, the I call them empty calories. The the home, the meaningless home runs down seven three. The meaningless solo home runs down seven three or down five nothing or five one or five two or nothing nothing pitchers duel and you're swinging for the fences. Those if the Yankees if the Yankees want to. Uh, Want to live this to have an op- another opportunity with the Astros? They can't fall into that trap that they fall in that they fallen in year after year after year in October, where it's just swing for the fences and we get away from just sound fundamentals and situational baseball and timely hitting, especially with runners with scoring position, and they do nothing but swing and miss and create a and create a nice breeze for the home plate umpire and swing for the fences and strike out eighteen times. Yankees got a hit. They can pitch that, and that would be my issue with their their starting pitching and their and not, you know not to poo poo that, but historically with this Yankee group, they they've been notorious over the last few years for their bats to go completely cold. This this is a if the if the if the Yankees want to win the World Series, they got a hit. I understand bullpen and uh, and starting rotations got to do their job, and Cole can't crumble like a like a poorly baked cookie and then cry bitch and moan when things don't go his way or he doesn't get a call that he wants. I understand that, and that's a, and that's a given. But one of the biggest things for, for, with the Yankees when it comes to their playoff fairs is their inability to hit and drive in and and get big hits with runners with scoring position. And if they fail to do that, they got no shot. None. And then Chapman, you know, fought around in Miami instead of showing up the Yankee Stadium up to New York for you know for the workout. As a result, they cut him. Should have happened months prior. Should have happened in I don't know August, July, June, May, hell, early April, but. Better late than never cutting your losses from a Yankee perspective when you're heading into another postseason run. We'll take a break. 
I by the way, I got I I got the uh, I got the Yankees winning the series, Dodgers winning the series, Dodgers in a sweep. Um the uh Braves winning the series in 4. And uh, I got the and I got Houston winning this series as well in in a deep series as well. Take a break. Turn our attention to National Football League the Week Five recap to close out the show. This is the I'm Telling It TIS podcast. the Amatelicatiais podcast, ending the show with a method that I normally use to begin it, and that is with the Week 5 NFL uh, recap as I go through and dissect these games that occurred uh, over the uh, over this uh, NFL uh, weekend. Uh, we will begin, as I can see if I can try to find... My um my notes here. Uh, we will begin with the game that was between the Green Bay Packers and the New York uh and the New York Football Giants. Uh, what a football game that was! I didn't see it live. I went back and, and of course, obviously went back and watched it. Didn't see it live because a nine o'clock game. Yours truly. Uh, is in uh, is in church doing the Lord's work and not sitting in front of a TV watching uh, Daniel Jones uh, run for his life against the uh, Green Bay Packers defense. But uh, what a game! Uh, what a game that was! And I told you guys heading in that that the uh, that the Green Bay Pack, excuse me, that the New York Football Giants were uh, were going to be in this football game, and at the and at and at minimum, we're going to make. The uh, the Packers worked in order to win this game. I did not expect them to win because, like I told you guys on Friday, you know this game. Although uh, the Giants will play them hard, and they're a feisty football team, and they're well coached. I just you know do you who do you trust with your life on your life on the line? Aaron Rodgers or Daniel Jones? And I said that the that the essentially the quarterback matchup was going to come down to who's going to win and who's going to lose this game. Well, it, well, <laughs> you go ahead and you look at the stats. I mean, Daniel Jones, make the argument, played better than Aaron Rodgers did. 21 to 27, 217 passing yards. He ran for 37 yards on the ground, only got sacked one time. Aaron Rodgers was 25 to 29, not as accurate. 222 passing yards, two touchdown passes, though, got sacked twice. If you care about the QBR stat, the Skip Baylesses of the world, uh, Daniel Jones had a QBR of 75.4 to compare to Aaron Rodgers, 
who's was uh who was 53.4 um and then Saquon Barkley you know how about Saquon Barkley and listen one of the major reasons why the Giants are 4 and 1 is because of their defense and Wink Martindale and the coaches and and Dayball which I'll get to in a minute but I mean Saquon Barkley look at the I mean he's has had he has had a damn good start to the 2022 season. He's on 97 carries. He he's got uh he's got five he's got a 533 uh 533 yard rushing yards, three touchdowns, averaging five and a half yards a carry. Uh and in his and he rushed for 70 yards, uh 70 yards and a touchdown uh, against Green Bay on Sunday. The week before against Chicago on 31 carries, he rushed for 146. Uh, a an okay but but uh, productive 81 rushing yards on 14 carries and a touchdown against Dallas on Mon- a few Monday nights ago on the 26th of September. Uh, and uh, you know his worst game of the season was uh, was against Carolina in week two. But then you know, you go back week one, 18 carries on 164 yards on the ground. So so just so in two out of the th- first five games of the season for Saquon Barkley, he has he has well over 140. He has well over 130 yards on the ground, 146 against Chicago, 164 against Tennessee. And he's had some solid games against Dallas and Green Bay in wins in which he's also ran for touchdowns. And a, a very, very good 40-yard run he had against Green Bay on Sunday as well. So, uh, so as much as we can talk about the, the uh, New York football giants, their defense, Wake Martindale with the schemes, with the blitz, and, and him living and dying by the blitz, and how fierce the Giants' defense is, and what a job Brian Dable with the change of the culture. and We can discuss all of that, and that is a, and don't get me wrong, that's not to be overlooked or overshadowed, but Saquon Barkley essentially, uh, this and but Saquon Barkley in this renaissance, that he has been able to uh, strike up since week one uh, in Tennessee uh, to begin the uh, the fairly young season is is has has been a thing to behold and a, and a sight to see. Very refreshing if you're a New York uh, Giants fan, and it brings the question now. You know, after the season, do you extend Saquon or do you let him go? But uh, but I tell you, he has been one of he's uh, by far he's been their best player on offense this season. We've mentioned ad infinitum how terrible and how just 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 putrid the New York Giants wide receiving uh, wide receivers room is, and Daniel Jones, albeit, and we'll get to him in a minute. You know he's you know he's he's he hasn't been uh, sensational this season, but no doubt Saquon Barkley has been the MVP of the offense and has been the best player on offense for the Giants this season. He's he's found he's I won't say the founder of youth because he's still a uh, he's still a young uh, player in the league. But boy, th- this is the player that the Giants knew that they were getting when they drafted him out of Penn State a few years ago because he has just been an absolute tear uh, to begin the season. And really outside of the Carolina game, 
in the last three games we had some, or excuse me, not counting the Chicago game, but in the other two games against Dallas on Mon- on that Monday night in the 26th and a few weeks about, uh, no, two weeks ago, and then, of course, against Green Bay on Sunday, even when he doesn't rush for over 100 yards, he still puts together a productive afternoon running the football. So that I wanted to touch on as well. Um, the Daniel Jones, I tell you, he isn't great. He's not good. He's not. He isn't great. He does not blow you away, and he's not the future of the uh, franchise at position for the Giants under any circumstances. But I tell you what, I got to give him credit where credit is due. Daniel Jones is a tough, hard-nosed, gritty, and 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 and, and solid football player. Not quarterback, but football player. He is as tough and as he is as tough. And as and, and mentally tough, physically tough, and as gritty, putting his body on the line, fighting for every single inch, running the football. I mean, he he he's 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 tough. He's tough as his nails, and he plays every single snap for the most part, and plays every single game like it's his last, like 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 it like it's a, like it's the Super Bowl, like it's the Super Bowl, and his life was on the line. So you give him tremendous credit as well. He's you know he's had he's had his moments where he hasn't played well. Obviously, we had the interception against Dallas a few weeks ago. It was the coup de grace, be it wasn't his fault because because the, the uh, Dallas Cowboy defensive line is is just off the freaking charts. But so, but he's had his moments where he hasn't played well, where he's missed some throws. But everything being considered, with the piss poor wide receiver room he has and. And the fact that he's going up against some tough opponents where other quarterbacks may have crumbled underneath the pressure, Daniel Jones says, "I got to give him credit. He's done. He's done his job. He's put his team in the best position to win. He's managed the game well. He's managed these games well, and um, and and he and he's and and he's and he's doing whatever he can to put his team in the best position to win." And and a lot of these games, he's put them in the best position to win. That's why they got a four and one record. Uh, 4-1 record right now. And then to go on the other side of the ball with, uh, and we'll get to the Packers in a minute, believe me. Uh, and then get to the other side of the ball with the with the, with the the Giants defense. I told you guys on Friday, and I'll say it again, their defense was going to be the reason why the Giants were going to be able to hang with Green Bay. They were Their defense was the, was the sole reason uh, was the sole X's and O's reason of why I knew that the Giants were going to be able to hang with Green Bay and give them fits in this game. I predicted, I you know, I predicted you know them to hang tight and then either Daniel Jones' mistake or a, or a bad call or or a tremendous play by Aaron Rodgers shifts the momentum of the game and Green Bay pulls away late at the end, wins the game by a touchdown at, uh, from wins the game you know by a margin of seven to ten points. But I did not anticipate them upsetting Green Bay and them winning by five. And their defense has got a lot to do with it. Sacked Aaron Rodgers twice. Uh, did a sensational job of stopping the run. Aaron Jones, 13 carries, only 63 yards on the ground. Uh, Randall Cobb had an eye afternoon, uh, 13 targets, 7 receptions, 99 yards receiving. Uh, 99 yards receiving for him, and then they shut down Lazard, Dubes, Robert Tunyon, uh, and the rest of the uh, Packers wide receiving crew. 
uh, for the rest of the afternoon. And give Wink Martindale tremendous credit. You know, he took a lot of flack and took a lot of heat here in, Bal- uh, here in Baltimore, you know, living by the Blitz and dying by the Blitz. And many a times he lived by the Blitz and he ended up coming back to bite him in the ass and was a double-edged sword that killed the Ravens when it was intended to kill their opponent. Uh, so he and and he's you know a very very blitz happy defensive coordinator, um, but I tell you what he brought that same philosophy up with them to uh, up with them to the Giants, and uh, so far it's it's pay, it's paid off tremendous dividends for him in their defense because their defense comes in screaming, they come in hot, they uh, pl- they play like their tails on fire. And they make and they make and they've made these opposing quarterbacks that they played this season, whether they be, you know, whether it be Rodgers, whether it be uh, Justin Fields, um, uh, Ryan Tannehill. They've made them think on their feet, make them think on their feet. And when you get a quarterback that's that's you know on, that's on edge and's got and you know it's more it's got to be more concerned with making sure the ball's getting out of their hands in time so they don't take the sack. Or making sure that they're bracing themselves to be ready to take that big hit, a big sack. Then eventually, then eventually, you know, the opposing quarterback is going to rush a throw, bad read, bad throw decision, and you're going to force many mistakes and many of uh, many of uh, interceptions. Uh, and then Dable, of course, who we haven't spent a whole hell of a lot of time talking about here on this program, but we will take some time and discuss and discuss it right here and discuss it. Um, uh, and discuss it uh, right here, right now. But he has done an absolutely, absolutely sensational job with changing the culture of this football team, giving them some confidence, uh, instilling a little bit of uh, mental toughness in them. And and you and you, it just goes to show. And if you've seen them play, they've played. They play hard for them. They play. They play with an edge. They play. They they play smart. They're disciplined. They are buttoned up for the most part, and it's just completely, completely different giant football team in 2022 than what we've seen in previous giant years, dating back to the, of course, the Joe Judge and the uh, and the Pat Shermer and the and the uh, and the Ben McAdoo uh, era, dating back uh, dating back all the way to 2000. And uh, dating back to 2017, uh, five years ago. But I absolutely love what he's done with the football team. They believe in each other. They believe in their own ability. They believe in themselves. They believe in a head coach. They are they are a they are a cohesive, they are a cohesive together unit that believes in themselves and believes in one another and's got confidence in one another and enjoys playing with one another, and. All in, in football and in sports, it's a weird game. You know, all it takes is just a change in mindset, a change in culture, and a change in an attitude. And it could be, for the most part, the same roster, and you, and, and you, and you blink, and it'll be the same team, but you're getting totally different, better results. It begins with a mindset, begins with a culture. And Brian Dable's done a sensational, jo- sensational job at changing that for the better uh, for the Giants, and it's not even close. It's not even up for debate. I understand it's Week Five. It's still relatively early in the season, but it's not even up for debate. Brian Dayball is the is is the is the is by far. He's ahead. He's ahead by he's ahead by by uh, by ten strokes. He's running away with the tournament. 
He is by far the leader in the clubhouse thus far this season. And when when it comes to the when it comes to terms in the uh, manager the manager the uh, coach of the year conversation. By far. And then with the Packers, your issue is you know, your issue is a, is a few things. One, their offense is very concerning. Okay, you look at Green Bay. You look at Green Bay this season. They have not scored 30 points at all this season. The most points they've scored was 27. They scored 27. They scored 27 against the uh, Chicago, 27 against New England. Rest of the games they've scored 22 points, 14 points, 7 points. They have yet to score they've yet to score 28 plus they've yet to score 28 or more points this season. So their off their offense is stuck in the mud. The young wide receiving core for Green Bay, them and Rodgers, aren't on the same page as we're in the week five, aren't on the same page. Miscommunication, bad throws from Aaron, inaccurate throws. Um, and it's, you know, it's Randall Cobb is his security blanket. Uh, and it's, you know, figure out the rest where they, and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, and uh, they did not run the ball great on Sunday. I read you uh, Jones's numbers 13 carries, 63 yards. So this offense has been pedestrian, to put it nicely, at best. And then what in the what in the world is Matt Lafleur doing? Uh, not running the ball during Green Bay's final drive inside the red zone. See, calls nothing but pass plays. Martindale sends the sends the blitz, and all the and all the Giants' defensive linemen do is just jump up and swat the ball to the ground on back to back plays. Third and fourth and short. And he doesn't. And he doesn't decide not once to 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 let's see if Aaron Jones can punch it in to at least get a first down and keep the game going. That 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 made no sense. That made no sense to me. Uh, no sense to me. Uh, what's whatsoever. Um, as the Giants, uh, the Giants. This is if them at four and one. Their best record through five games since they started five and zero oh in two thousand nine. Barkley's third straight game with over 100 scrimmage yards, his third longest streak in 2019. Barkley has also done a sensational job, a part being a part and a weapon of the uh, of the uh, Giants' passing offense uh, for them uh, for them uh, as well. As we move along to the Chargers and the Browns game, as uh, as the Chargers are lucky to escape with one a 30 to 28 victory over Cleveland. There's a few things I want to take away from this game uh, as well. Uh, first off, uh, first off, you know the, both of these teams can when it's when it's clicking for them. Boy, can these two teams run the football. Uh, Austin Eckler, 16 carries, a buck 73 on the ground, a touchdown run, had a nice 71. A yard run during the sequence of the game. Kareem, uh, excuse me, Nick Chubb, 17 carries, 134 yards, and two touchdowns for him as well. I mean, these are these are two teams that that are just tremendous football teams in terms of in terms of their uh, of their ground game. Mike Williams, uh, 10 receptions, uh, 134 receiving yards for him off 13 targets on the afternoon. Uh, for him, Austin Eckler also caught a touchdown pass. Uh, four receptions, twenty-six yards coming out of the backfield for him. Uh, so we so key number one to take away from this game is that both teams can run the football tremendously well, and both teams, boy, they have issues, especially their defensive front, at stopping uh, at stopping each other 
uh, in, with their um, spe- with their specific run game. Uh, and, but the couple takeaways I want to talk about on this game, spend some time on, is Jacoby's Jacoby's Brissett's uh, bad interception threw it directly to him. With a three, with a, a third and seven, two forty-nine in the fourth quarter, Jacoby Brissett in that situation. And let me see if I can, uh, and let me see if I can uh, pull it up for you right quick. Jacoby Brissett in that situation, he throws the ball directly to Gilman. You can't in that situation uh, down two, uh, down two thirty to twenty-eight with an opportunity to put the ball in the end zone and go out in front, or at, or at worst, if you protect the football and hold on to it, you kick a field goal and put yourself up one. That That is a terrible, and he cost, and, I t- and last week he cost, the week before, game before, he cost the Browns doing a similar thing. This one, this one, was, this one wasn't necessarily as bad as on Sunday because it was a last gasp effort, final drive, less than a minute left, no timeouts. This one was worse. But if you're Jacoby Brissett, you know you cannot expect to win a whole lot of play, win a whole lot of football games, not taking care of the football and just making push poor reads and just horrendous throws. You got to be able to take care of the football better than that. You you just you just throw it directly to him. The pass had no chance of being completed. Down two down two points. Touchdown puts you out in front. Uh, puts you out in front. Uh, 35, 35 to thirty. And a and a field goal puts you out in front by one. And Jacoby Brissett just gave the Chargers a free possession, which I do not understand. Um, I did not love earlier in the game going to the third quarter with eight fifty five to go. I do not love the decision by Kevin Stefanski. Um, to uh, to go for it on fourth and one with eight fifty five to go in the third quarter at their own with the ball at their own thirty four yard line. Me personally, I would. Me personally, I would have punted it in that situation because of you know you don't get it. You give uh, you give the Chargers short field and it's been an offensive heavy game all game long. I I I don't love giving Herbert and the crew a short field there. I understand it's fourth and one, but it's at your own. Uh, thirty-four yard line early in the third quarter. Why, why, why take the why take the those risks when you don't risks when you don't have to. Um, and then also, you know, what I I, I at some point, man, I don't understand how you poor Charger fans deal with it, deal with him, and live with him, and live with his decision making. Because if I because if I was a Charger fan, I'd be half fitting to 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 jump off the roof somewhere. Seeing seeing Brandon Staley coach his way, or at least attempt to try to coach his way and manage a game clock and make decisions throughout the sequence of a game. I mean, can you please explain to me what the logic was in going for it on fourth and two at your own forty-five yard line, up two scores with seventy-two seconds left in the game? Can somebody explain that to me, please? What 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 logic there is behind it? You're up two points. If you don't get it, which they did not, the you automatically, without even making the Browns work for it, put them in field goal range. Automatically, seventy-two seconds left in regulation. You got the ball at your own forty-five yard line, 
and you fourth and two, we're going for it. I mean, really, Staley, really, this this is what you're doing. And again, like I said in the opening monologue with the Bengals, to hell with the analytics. I don't care what the analytics say, and the chances of this happening plus this will equal. I'm not interested. You punt the damn football away. So you make Jacoby Brissett and crew drive the 50 to 55 yards down the field to put Cade York in field goal range. You don't essentially get reckless fourth and two where if you don't get it, the 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 all, the Browns don't have don't have to work don't have to use up any clock have to do anything all they gotta do is just get the ball inside the forty yard line run one five yard play at minimum and they're in York range or thereabouts. That decision was was just was mind bogglingly stupid was just mind bogglingly stupid and Staley should and I hope Staley hit his knees on Sunday night and thank the good Lord above that York shanked the field goal wide right because if he hadn't people would still be screaming about it he got away with it because York missed the kick and the Chargers ended up winning the game after all but it shouldn't even been in in the hands of York to decide. The uh, to decide the Chargers' fate for that game. Punt the ball and play defense. The hell are you going for it on fourth and two for? Made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Absolutely no sense. The um, as the Eagles survive to uh, survive the five and zero on the season. Longest win streak since the Super Bowl, since their Super Bowl champion season in 2017. 3-0 road record for the first time since two 3-0 record for the first time since 2010. Uh, a couple things I want to take away from this game. Um the Eagles have, and a thing I will, that would worry me if I was an Eagles fan, is that they have issues with um, they have they have severe issues and problems with um closing out games and putting teams away. They let the Lions linger in Week One. They they let the Lions linger in Week One. They let um they let the Chargers you know kind of hang around a little bit, uh hang around a little bit the week before. In week three, in uh, in week two against um. In week two against uh, not week two, uh, who do they play week three, uh, in week three against Washington, they've had a couple of games. You know, Washington, the Vikings, they don't, they haven't fought it around, but against the Lions in week one, char- the the uh, Jaguars a little bit the week before. Uh, the week before this week, and then here, uh, and then against the Cardinals on Sunday. If I was an Eagles fan, I'd be a little bit concerned, and I would, and I'd, you know, be, I'd be ecstatic, but I would see the light, light, the quote unquote light at the, not the light, at the end of the tunnel, but I would see the storm brewing up ahead, uh, because this, because this team, uh, because this team struggles with, uh, this team, this team struggles with putting away their opponents. They 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 struggle. They've they, uh, week uh, they the fact they couldn't put away the Lions week one told you all you all told told you that this team you know is good but they are flawed and they are beatable, 
And if you're the Eagles, you know, you cannot, especially going up against Dallas and that defense uh, next Sunday night, you cannot, when you got, they get out to a lead, they got to find, they got to find a way to put, they got to, they got to find a way to, uh, to, uh, to put the, uh, to put, to put the, give them the coup de gras and go for the jugular. They've had issues delivering that knockout punch quite a few times this season. Um, and then Kyler Murray, you know, it, it just goes to show, you know, the he's got the nerve to sit up here and flip out at the media and, and cast blame to everybody but himself during the offseason when it, when the Cardinals gave him that studying clause. Yet he, yet he, yet this is, yet he goes out there on Sunday with the game t- with the game tight. Uh, with the game tight, down uh, down twenty to seventeen, down three points, knowing good and well they need to get in the field goal range to win the game. He doesn't know where the first down marker is. He slides a yard shy from the first down for where the from where the first down is. Thus, the Cardinals had to rush to get to the line of scrimmage. He had no timeouts left, and they had to forfeit third down in order to spike it, so they can save themselves some, so they can save themselves some time to send out the field goal unit to tie the game up. The problem is, is that by forfeiting third down because they had to spike on third down, they have no margin for error in case there's a bad snap, fumbled snap, um, and then on, and then on top of the fact. They didn't run the clock down to less than five seconds, less than five seconds to make sure that that uh, when they sent out uh, when they when they lined up to kick the game time field goal to make sure that it was going to be the final play of regulation. So not only did Kyler screw up and not knowing where the first down marker was, sliding a yard shy, thus the Cardinals having to forfeit third down in order to third down so they could spike it. And Murray, who's been a, who's played football a long time, been a running quarterback in the league a long time, making an he's he's got to know where the first down marker is. I mean, there is absolutely no excuse for not knowing where the first down for the first down marker for the first down uh, uh, sticks are. No excuse. But as a result, four-fifth, third down, and then because they're scrambling and, and, and hustling and make sure that they that they line up all, you know, that they're all lined up to get the spike to get the spike down, they don't realize that they should that they probably should have let the clock run down a few more seconds to uh to no more to allow it to be no more than five seconds left in regulation to make sure that the field goal was be, would be the last play of the game. Because even if the kicker makes the kick, it's not the last play of the game. You still got to line up, kick the ball off, and then the Eagles with two timeouts left have an opportunity if they if the if they either squib kick if you squib kick it you give the Eagles a short field with two timeouts left with an opportunity to march down the field what 20, 30, 35 yards to get themselves in field goal range, or they take the touchback, and all they need is 50, 55 yards to get in the field goal range to, you know, to win the game with with two timeouts in the back pocket. So it was it was screwed up from Kyler not knowing when and where to, when to slide when and where to slide, not to mention not letting the clock run down so the so the field goal attempt is the last play of regulation which they failed to do. It was just a mess. As a result. Cardinals lose yet another Cardinals lose uh yet another you lose yet another football game and the Eagles improve the 5 and 0 on the on the uh regular season.
As for the Dallas Cowboys, who, unlike typical Dallas Cowboy uh, teams, find ways to uh, find ways to lose games. This Dallas Cowboy team is finding ways to win them because uh, what they have done, uh, really, what they've done, rattling off. Uh, rattling off four victories in a row after their week one debacle against the Bucks has been absolutely sensational and should be commended. Uh, this Dallas Cowboy defense is something that is has been top-notch. They're a top-notch, top-tier, top-level defense. And they are the sole reason why the Dallas Cowboys are 4-1. and one. Yes, Cooper Rush has played well. But I have not seen. But this defense has been so clutch, has been so timely, and has been so good over the last four weeks that it it it, it if it has to deserve some props. Okay, the Marcus Lawrence who had to scoop and score on Sunday has done a sensational job. Micah Parsons and the crew has done nothing but wreck havoc towards opposing offensive lines, whether it be Cincinnati's, whether it be the Giants, whether it be uh, whether it be Los Angeles's on Sunday. I mean, they have just done absolutely remarkable job, and uh, and I told you guys on Friday. That they were going that 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 this cowboy defense is so damn good that they were going to be re, they were going to be the reason why the cow, I picked it they were the reason why I picked the Cowboys to win the game and they were the reason why I w- I was thoroughly convinced that the Cowboys were going to win the game and I wasn't surprised uh, with them beating with them beating the Rams by by uh, by ten plus points because they they're that they're that good they sacked Matthew Stafford they sacked Matthew Stafford five times got an interception. Forced the fumbles, strip sack, scoop and score. Uh, they I, I mean, I'm running out of superlatives to describe how good this defense is. They get after the quarterback. They stop the run. Although with the Rams, there's not that much run game to stop. We'll get to in a minute. Um, and they and albeit you know Cooper Cup seven reception, but like I said, with Cooper Cup at seven receptions, hundred and twenty five yards and a touchdown. Like I said, and the, and and really that was this Cooper Cup catching the ball and then seventy five yards, pew to the house. But like I said, heading into this game last week, relating it to uh, Cooper Cup's numbers he put up against the Forty ers last Monday night, uh, Monday night of last week. Is that they keep Cooper Cup's numbers and they make them empty calories. They make Cooper Cup's seven receptions, ten receptions, twelve receptions, one hundred twenty-five, one hundred five, one hundred thirty-five. They 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 make them insignificant to the game's outcome. They make them in make them incons- in in uh, inconsequential to the game's outcome and to the Rams' performance on offense. The 49ers did it in Week Four, and the Cowboys did now a little bit different because Cooper Cup didn't have a huge catch and run in the 49er game like he did on Sunday. But but they did. But they but it's the same thing still applies. May keep Cooper Cup's if they gets the ball, he throw the ball fine, but make sure that his play is inconsequential to the game's outcome. And doesn't and 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 is not helping the Rams put the ball in, in the end zone and helping them score points, which is exact, which is exactly what happened. They were an empty seven reception, one hundred twenty five yard uh, performance from Cooper Cup. But the Cowboy defense is just absolutely sensational. Cooper Rush, who does his job, manages the game properly, throws the ball solid. 
Dutton does just what it takes enough to win games. One is one over one one statistically great, although he was ten of sixteen. One uh, statistically great uh, in the game on us on in the game on Sunday. One o two passing yards and got sacked three times, but he did what he needed to do. Took care of the football. Didn't try to do too much and try to uh, and try to force plays downfield. He played within his means. As a result, you play within your means. You take care of the football, and then the defense goes out there and hunt and makes the Rams' offense, Stafford and the crew, their lives living hell. You're going to walk away winning. Uh, you're going to walk away winning many of football games. Tony Pollard, solid afternoon, not great, but a solid, productive afternoon. Eight carries. Uh, 86 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Zeke Elliott, uh, 822 carries, 78 yards on the ground. Uh, as Dallas uh, wins their fourth game, wins their fourth game in a row, two and zero on the road this season. Their defense has allowed 13 has allowed 13.3 points per game during this four game winning streak. And and then we get to the Rams side of things. Uh, they've only played one game this season, scoring 21 or more points. And I say that to say is that the sirens need to be going off and a panic button needs to be pressed for the Los Angeles Rams because their offense has, if I thought the Bengals' offense was bad, the Rams' offense somehow, some way, is even worse. And granted, they're not as talented offensively as the Bengals are, but this, but this is just terrible. I mean, this offensive line, this 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 rebuilding, young, inexperienced offensive line has been taken to the cleaners damn near every single week this season. Matthew Stafford is on his ass eighty percent of the time. He's got to throw rush throws to avoid pressure. He's got to scramble in uh, deep in the pot, deep in the pocket, outside the pocket, scramble all over the place just to buy his receiver some time down the field. They don't run the football. They can't run the football. And when they do start to run a little bit, McVay is so freaking trigger happy to abandon the run. I mean, as a team, not one player, as a team, 15 carries, 38 yards on the ground. Team can't run the ball for anything. They can't run the foot. They can't run the football. McVeigh abandons the run way too quick, and it's been a reoccurring theme so far this season. They missed the hell out of Robert Woods. They miss Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and for whatever the the O line, like I said, is absolutely pathetic and 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 is and is offensive if if you're a Rams fan to watch. And for whatever the reason, for the life of me, I can't understand it. Matthew Stafford never, ever, 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 ever throws Allen Robinson the ball. I mean, five five targets, three receptions, twelve yards. I mean, for the love of all that is holy, Stafford, he's there on your team for a reason. Throw Allen Robinson the gosh dang football. Never ever throws it to him. It's it's Cooper Cup or it's nothing. That mixed in with the fact that you can't run the football with a bad offensive line. And you're going to be one of the worst off. You're going to be one of the worst scoring offenses in the National Football League, to nobody's surprise. But getting back to the Cowboys, and then one other point before I get to the uh, ref ball, and then the Monday night with mixing with the Monday night, with the Monday night game, the Cowboys will go as will go as far as their defense will take them, whether it be with Cooper Rush or with Dak Prescott. 
their offense, their excuse me, they as a football team will only go as far as their defense takes them. The first sign of trouble you'll see is if the Dallas Cow and 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 there's really a lot of pressure on this defense, which makes what they're doing all the more impressive. Is that they know that they essentially can go into a lot of you know they they knew heading into this Rams game they couldn't give up more than 24 points and expect to have an opportunity to win the game. They knew heading into heading into the Bengals game that if they let Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow and company go ham and, and drop at minimum twenty you know twenty four to twenty seven points on them that their chances of winning the football game were slim to none. So and and those two especially because those are the two Super Bowl participants from the previous season and they've done and they held Cincinnati seventeen points and they held the Rams to ten points. And they held Brady and the Buccaneers at 19 points, albeit in a losing effort. But they know that their margin, and they got so much pressure on them with no Dak Prescott, backup quarterback behind center. They're under the microscope constantly. And it's just, and, and, and the fact that they got all the pressure in the world on them, and yet they answer the bell week in and week out and keep them in the games and put their offense in the best chance to win the games, giving them short fields, creating turnovers, and making things as easy as they possibly can for Cooper Rush, it's all the more reason why you give this defense credit. But they, but this team can only can only go as far as their defense will take them. The minute or the game that their defense falls off and has a bad game and gives up 28, 31, 35 some odd points, Dallas Cowboys, you know, they, it's 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 you know. Their their playoff chances and their chances of being, dare I say, a Super Bowl contender will plummet. They will go only as far as their defense will take them. And we've discussed, and last point about this game, and we've discussed this 90,000 times. Uh, so far, I stand getting taken over by a bunch of Rams fans. I mean, I understand it's par for the course for that non-existent fan base out there. Uh, but I mean that 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 that's just freaking pathetic. That's pathetic. Entire building taken over by cowboy fans. Sure, that did not sit well with Stan Kroenke, but hey, you sleep in your bed, Jamaica. Uh, and then with the uh, and then with uh, oh, speaking of the Rams, as a stat of one to relate with relating with them and the Bengals. But both of those teams starting at two and three. This is the third time that each of the teams to play in the previous season Super Bowl have had a losing record through the first five games of the season. Ninety nine Denver and Atlanta both started zero and four. They of course participated. Uh, they of course were the conference champions in ninety eight, and then the uh, Redskins and the Broncos started the season two and three in eighty eight. Both and and those two teams being Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Super Bowl opponents of the '87 season, uh, and then let and then I'd be remiss if I did not talk about uh, the ref ball that occurred, uh, the ref ball that occurred in uh, in in Tampa and in Kansas City over the last few days. I mean Jerome Boger, who had a who had the awful, awful, awful uh, rough in the passer penalty in the Ravens game. Which helped, uh, which helped the which helped the Bills during their uh, what what turned out to be their uh, game winning uh, their game winning uh, drive this their game winning uh, field goal drive in the rain last week against Baltimore. 
Uh, he had a terrible. I mean, that was not. Uh, that was not uh, a, a rough in the passer penalty. That was a bo- that was Boger's crew, uh, and he and he fouled that and he fouled uh, that one out. He found uh, he fouled. Excuse me, that one up. And then he turns around uh, this Sunday in Tampa, Bucks versus uh, Bucks versus Falcons, and uh, Grady Jarrett, who simply was just in the act of tackling and sacking Tom Brady, and threw him in a manner in which you know because of how he was tackling him, the position, the body position of Jarrett, the body position of Brady, and just pure physics, science, and math had Brady. Not harshly, not violently, but did in a way throw um, Brady to the ground and just a simple routine sack. And he called it a roughing the passer penalty. Had that penalty not have called, Tebe would have gotten off the field and the Buccaneers would have had an opportunity uh, and would have had an opportunity to definitely uh, steal one against the uh, against the Tampa against the uh, Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. But the fact that, but the fact that Jerome Boger and we've screamed and yelled about this not just with him, but with all these referees and all the sports, I, I I do not understand for the life of me, with these referees feeling the need to inject themselves and stick their beaks in, in into into these games. I don't. I really, 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 really don't. Uh, and that and that. I mean, there are three three of the worst roughing the passer penalties. That I've that I've seen that I've seen uh, in my lifetime. It was that on Sunday, the rough in the passer penalty that I believe was called on Chris Jones when he basically did nothing but hit Tom Brady on the shoulder and attempt to try to swat the football out of his hand in the 18 championship game, which was one of the worst. But that was a Cleet Blake that was that was called by Cleet uh, Cleet Blakeman and his crew one of the worst, and of course the one that I that we will get to that I saw on Monday Night Football. But I mean that that was just you cannot under any circumstances. And what he said he said, he said quote he thought they unnecessarily threw Brady to the ground. No, he did not, Jerome. He was completing the act of a damn sack of a damn tackle. I mean, next one we put flags on him and play seven on seven. I mean, are you really? He he tackled him and he and he he was coming. I mean, one like he threw Brady on his head. He didn't body slam him. He didn't suplex him. He didn't helmet to helmet contact. He didn't strike him in the head. He didn't strike him with his helmet or with his hand hand or 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 arm with Brady's helmet. He tackled him and he mildly. "Quote unquote," threw him to the ground. I mean, come on, Jerome, get a clue, will you, please? My good, how many times I gotta tell you, referees, to stay out of these games? Roughing the passer, my ass. He's completing us. He's completing the act of a sack and a tackle, for God's sakes. And then and then Chris Jones gets hit with something, gets hit with gets hit with the same egregious foolishness Monday night in Kansas City against or excuse me Monday night, uh on Monday night. I mean really, really forces the forces Derek Carr to fumble the football and they and they and they they call roughing the. 
I mean, you. I mean, it's getting to a point where where it's where it's not funny, but the amount of but the amount of 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 pure uh, of pure incompetence with these officials is getting to the point where where you get where it's you have to laugh to 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 keep yourself from going from going ape shit or going cuckoo for cocoa puffs because it 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 it, 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 it is astonishing to me how these referees can look at the, can watch these games officiate these games be feel the energy of the crowd the energy of the players the atmosphere know the game scenario know everything forwards and backwards inside and out when it comes to these games and yet feel the need to inject themselves and throw their flag to my roughing the passer roughing the passer for for simply sacking Tom Brady roughing the passer for for Chris Jones being three hundred some odd pounds, sacking Derek Carr, forcing the fumble, and the and the and the pure just nature and just the the and it and it being just the law of physics of him having Derek Carr within his grasp, falling on him and landing on him. Like we might as well at this point either just make it two hand touch or just put the flag on the quarterback at this point because it's, it's 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 getting ridiculous. What is he supposed to do? The law of physics is going to have him land on Derek Carr with the way and the manner in which he sacked him and initially made contact with him, forced the fumble no less. And it's roughing the passer. Are you kidding me? And it completely screwed up the game because then Carl Sheffers is running around. He and his dopey crew with, trying to assess makeup calls left and right, and and like trying to right their wrong, but only making it worse. They're trying to fix their egregious mistake after they got read the riot act by Andy Reid. Everyone wearing a Kansas City Chiefs uniform and the and the fan base screaming and yelling, booing and jeering at the top of their lungs in that sold out stadium last night, and all they did was made it worse. All we ask, guys, is for accountability, transparency, and admission and, and an admission and an admission of mistake, an admission of guilt. That's all we want: accountability, transparency, admission of guilt, and do what and, and move whatever mountains that and do whatever you got to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Because it's because it, it's getting laughable at this point. It re, it really really is. It's insult. It's insulting to everyone to everyone that's came that came that came in front that came in front of these players that play in 2022 NFL it's insulting to the players that played 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 25, 30, 35, 40, 50 years ago it's insulting it's insulting it's insulting to the Troy Aikmans of the world. It's insulting to the Troy Aikmans of the world, it's insulting to to it's insulting to the to the Steve Youngs of the world, it's insulting to the uh to to the Joe Montanas of the world, it's insulting to to the um to the to the Kenny Stablers of the world. It's insulting. You played football in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and hell, in the early 2000s. Seeing a, seeing games officiated and seeing these roughing and passing penalties called the way the way and in the asinine manner in which they're called nowadays, it's insulting. If you played if you played football at the pro level for a long time and were damn good at it, it's insulting watching this. 
That's a, if you're a football fan that's watched football for tw- for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 65 years, it's insulting to the longtime football fan and to the former NFL player. It's insulting with, 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 the, with the way that these games have been, offici- have been officiated. Downright insulting. Insulting. And it needs to change. And it needs to change quick, fast, and in a damn hurry. Because enough is because enough's enough. I'm, I'm dead ass serious. Enough is enough, Goodell. Enough is enough is enough. I'm tired of it. Really am. But as for the game itself, what the hell can you say about Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, as you haven't already said? Kelsey had put on a four, put on a record-breaking four touchdown, uh, four touchdown uh, receiving, four touchdown receiving night. Mahomes two ninety-two, all four touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey were just absolutely on fire. Raiders defense did what they could, got after Mahomes three times. Max Crosby, one of the best defensive players in football, did what he could. Chiefs still can't run the ball. They still got many of flaws. They can't run the football outside of Travis Kelsey and MVS who had a solid night. Uh, you know, your your receiving core is, is still very pedestrian at best. But when Mahomes and Kelsey are clicking and are in are in those grooves, they can just do no wrong. Look out. Kelsey, fourth tight end NFL history with four receiving touchdowns in a game. Uh, with, four, with four receiving touchdowns in a game. And then, of course, you go to the Raiders who, you know, more Raiders things. Fourth, they are the fifth team in NFL history to lose twice after holding a 17-point lead within the first five games of the season. They join this year's Ravens team, the 2020 Chargers, the 2011 Vikings, and the 93 Jets. And if you're the Raiders, and if you're Josh McDaniels, who 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 I could have told you from the jump, you know, had no business being head coach of the Vegas Raiders and has no clue what he's doing, but know which way is up and is so overrated as his pro as his, with his coaching prowess in the National Football League. I tell you something, I tell you something right now. What in the hell was he thinking trying to go for two and trying to chase points? For the last time, I don't give a damn what the analytics say. Go with your gut and go with common ass sense. You don't go chasing points when you don't have to, okay? And essentially, if you did score the touchdown, you or if you got a two-point conversion, you would give Kansas City an extra down on their ensuing drive because they know that the game would be that the game would be in balance where if they don't score where if they don't score in this drive, the game is over. You give them an extra down an extra opportunity to work with to get in field goal range and maybe if not get in the field goal range because Buck because Butker has been out put the ball in the end zone rather than you tying the game and maybe Kansas City has a little bit more of a conservative approach on their next drive with four minutes left knowing that they knowing that they got time knowing that they got overtime in their back pocket if they work the clock right and don't and 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 Mahomes doesn't try to do too much to trying to force the ball downfield and trying to make something happen instead what does Josh McDaniels do he he goes for the two-point conversion shocker 
doesn't work. They ended up losing the they ended up coming back to bite them in the ass and they ended up losing the game. 30-29. All I had to do is just kick kick the freaking extra point and tie the game up, Josh. I do not get it with these coaches. I don't get it with Staley. I don't get it with Harbaugh. I don't get it with Zach Taylor. I don't get it with McDaniels. Kick your freaking field goals. And stop chasing points. For the love of God, it's enough. In other news, must have spoke too soon about the Astros, or, or about the Mariners for that matter. Jordan Alvarez, Astros down to the final out, walk off three-run home run, come up from the pits of hell to steal game one, and they win 8-7. Robbie Ray running on fumes, goes out there, as a the fact, I don't know what the hell Scott Service was thinking, sending out Robbie Ray out there to be as to be as de facto closer, but it came out, but it came back to bite him in the ass, and that's a loss that if you're the Manners, you lose game two, headed you lose game you lose game two tomorrow night, you might as well bend over and kiss your ass goodbye, because that's a deflating loss that. That that you aren't that as a young inexperienced team the way you, the way that uh the way that Seattle is, and and the aforementioned Houston being been there done that bought the T-shirt, as far as playing in playoff and playing in playoff series and playoff games, may not be it may be too much to overcome, for Seattle, and what did I say? Shut down your Don Alvarez, had a base open. Base open, two outs, two-run advantage, and they decided to pitch to him. With a pitcher running on fumes, starting pitcher, working as their closer. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Busy show, but another episode of the um, Like a TIS podcast is in the books. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it is. Enjoy the AL and NLDS. I'll talk to you Friday. See you.